horror in the house of sounds here to save the day let's talk about your favorite movies have some laughs and fun then when you're scared of deep dark shadows you won't need to run it's all horror fiction still a scream Spoilers! Spoilers! Warning! Hello, horror fans, and welcome back. I am Jamie, and with me, as always, is Brian. Hello! 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 Hello. (laughs) How are you today? I'm doing okay. We're sitting in this winter wonderland. It's so frosty and cold outside, but it's warm and toasty in here. And, uh... Just generally feeling good. Good. I am very excited to be back in full swing with our show. As you know, the first episode of the season was our top 10 of the previous year, but this is the first episode episode Uh of the brand new season three in which we are, as I've said multiple times, busting loose, and I'm super excited about it. And we're in 3D. Huh? Well, it's our third season. You always got to go 3D when it's your third one. Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, I'll construct something giant to come toward the camera then. Well, of course. Yeah, that was... I've got the popcorn ready to go. Well, you know, I do love popcorn. You are a popcorn-eating tool. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a lot uh, to talk about this episode. We, of course, have our two movies, and then we have a fun little topic in Bumps in the Night, and then we have uh, our continuation of the collection, which, yes, we're still watching our movie collection. I think that's going to be forever. (laughs) Yeah. That was a really dumb idea by you. (laughs) I have quite enjoyed it. Oh, jeez. I hate having to watch a movie. It feels like homework. But see, that's the thing. That's the beauty of it, is there are movies that we're watching that if given the choice, I would always watch something else. But then, if we have to, then I'm often glad that I did. Because, for instance, you would never have chosen to watch A Cure for Wellness. Turns out you actually like that movie quite a bit. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and you don't know I would never watch it. I've seen it once. I didn't think it was all that great. I would watch it again for a second try. Yes, but you wouldn't pick it. Probably not. And then if I said, hey, let's watch A Cure for Wellness, you would have gone... (laughs) As you do. But I still would have watched it. Perhaps. There's no guarantee. Mm. But this forces us to. Yeah, that's always fun. I, well, I'm again, I'm glad of it. It's just like the old days when you used to get mailed movies from Netflix. I used that as an opportunity for, for me to watch films I'd never seen that I always wanted to see, but I was always pushing off. But if I ordered them from Netflix and I couldn't get new ones until I returned the ones I had, it forced me to watch them. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Hmm. Uh, But before we get into any of that, we do have some really exciting messages that we want to share. 
I, I cannot tell you how pleased I am that we've been gone for as long as we have, and then we come back, and our listeners are still out there in full force. Yeah. You know, they embraced that show very quickly, and then we've gotten a lot of feedback, and several people have provided us with their own top 10 list, which I'm very excited awesome. to share. Yeah. Also, I would like to extend a very hearty welcome to the newest member of our Patreon family. And that is Jake. Welcome, Jake, and thank you so much for your support. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, hope you like all the extra shows and our regular shows as well. Yes, definitely. I hope you've gotten a chance to peruse some of the stuff that's already there. And, of course, there's stuff still coming for anyone who doesn't know but may be curious. We're still working through our Friday the 13th retrospective. There's a new episode of that that will be dropping soon. Oh, and speaking of, I got some feedback specifically on the Friday 13th retro. So, uh... Oh, well, why don't we you go start ahead? with that. Yeah, yeah, well, that is a brilliant segue, my love. I, I try. <laughs> All right, well, hit us with it. Okay. Just in case you want to hear that, too, join our Patreon. You will find uh, the Friday 13th franchise in its full pretty soon. You'll find Texas Chainsaw Retro in there, plus a whole ton of other stuff. But as for the Friday 13th Retro, I got a message from longtime friend of the show and longtime super fan of the Friday 13th franchise, so you know he's good people, Alex Edwards. Oh, that's just longtime friend, full stop. Yeah. You know, I have known Alex for over 10 years, and we used to do, for anyone who isn't aware, we used to do a show together, The Skeleton Crew. We also did uh, Married with Children together for a while, mm-hmm. which was his baby. Yeah, and huge, huge Friday fan, particularly Friday 2 is his favorite, although I do know that the first one is his comfort movie. Aw, that's cool. So he is a big fan. He has been to... Camp Nobi Bus Nobi Bo what's it called? Nobi Bosco. <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, I think he uh, a couple times and uh, like once for re- you know once legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> and he has been to Blairsville quite a bit. He goes to the diner. He made his own movie. Oh, check it out if you've not seen it. It's called Friday the Thirteenth Nine Lives. It's on YouTube. It's a fan film. Well, like I said, he's a super fan. He is. So what did he have to say about our retrospective? <laughs> okay, well, he said, Hey, you were asking about who played Jason when he picked the arm up and looked at it in Jason Lives. And yeah, we were wondering if that was C.J. Graham or if that was the other guy, and I don't know his name, but he was Jason for roughly five minutes there. Uh, before they decided they didn't like the look of him or how he moved or He was a little tubby. Well, yeah, but I mean, it wasn't like he was gigantic or something. No, it's just I I feel like they, well, like I've always said, those jeans, or jeans, those pants were fitting a little tight for him to have just climbed out of a grave. Yeah. Anyways, Alex says, uh, that would be C.J. Graham. He signs autographs of that picture and I asked him about it. So that's cool. Yay, we'll see. Then you just talk to people and you get to... And your knowledge grows. Yeah. You learn stuff. Yeah. So, Alex, thanks for letting us know that. He said later on, because we talked for a little bit, that it was a pickup shot they did afterwards. 
So it's probably after the fake Jason was let go and CJ came on, they decided they wanted to punch up that scene a little bit more. Well, I'm glad they did. I actually like that moment. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, just speaking of Friday and Alex, he just released an interview with the author of Sackhead, <laughs> which is the ultimate retrospective of Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh, it is a book, but the interview is on YouTube on his show, Bare Bones, which is also like an offshoot of the Skeleton Crew. So... You can look it up various ways, but I do recommend checking it out. It's very cool. Even the interview itself gives some insights into part two, although he doesn't make any mention of my muffin theory, but I do believe I'm correct. Oh, the whole Jason didn't kill the dog and... Well, yeah. 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 I think muffin's dead. No! You're just delusional. You are sadistic and horrible. Jason stomped that dog. There is a thump and then a... And that was it. That's terrible. Yeah, but it's also true. All right, well, let's uh, go on. Oh, uh, well, Stephen Scott sent us something. Uh, you want to go ahead and read it? Okay, Stephen says, I just got through with your best horror movies of 22. And Brian, I'm with you on Smile. I Yay! loved it. Partly because of the smart symbolism of emotional trauma and mental illness. However, while I like Ryan Johnson's movies overall, Knives Out, Looper, etc. Now this is stemming from a a sort of long-winded discussion we had about a movie that's not a horror movie. We um, just brick talked. No, Glass Onion. Oh yeah, duh. I do blame him for The Last Jedi. He was not just the director, but also the writer who betrayed the character of Luke, turned Rey into an even bigger Mary Sue. How was that even possible? I was just thinking that. Had a haphazard plot, tried to make a no-duh political statement in a series meant for pure entertainment's sake, and left little to no stakes in the plot. Some blame. Well, I do know that my opinion of that movie was always very lackluster, just because A, I don't think it's very well made, but also B, the whole plot is like somebody running out of gas. Seriously, that's the whole story. Oh no, our starship's running out of gas and the bad guys will catch us. That's not what you make a movie about, that's what you make a TV episode about or something. I wouldn't know because I never saw it. Oh, you didn't miss much. I have actually, you know... As much as I love the original trilogy, and I actually am a fan of the Sith film. I don't, oh, Revenge of the Sith or yeah, something? Anything beyond that, I just don't care. Yeah, I mean, I was never a huge Star Wars fan, not even as a kid. I like them. I like them a lot. I like the original three movies. And then the prequels, hell. <laughs> when the first prequel came out, me and my buddy Jim who's also a huge Star Wars fan, we took the day off work just to go see that movie. Not that I need reason to take the day off work, but, you know, I was like, sure. So that's how big of fans we were, and the movie was okay. And I feel that way about the tri- the prequel trilogy. It's okay. I really wasn't a fan of the next three films. In fact, I never saw the final one at all. It just seemed like Disney was putting them out too much, too fast, to just trying to milk that franchise for all it's worth and just putting out rather, just like I said, lackluster films. Now, I know a lot of people 
give Ryan Johnson a lot of shit for the second movie. And, you know, rightfully so, if he did write it, if it, the movie really was his baby as much as, you know, Stephen is saying, then yeah, he can be held totally, account, you know, for account. But I always heard that the whole Disney thing is so corporate now. When you go to do a Disney movie, you're essentially just a hired gun. They tell you what to have, what to do, what story beats they want. But again, I'm not the world's biggest Star Wars fan. I could be wrong in that, so. Well, and I think you're right about Disney, which is a reason I am not a Disney fan. They've been kind of hit or miss for me anyway, uh, my whole life. I have always enjoyed the animated films. I've never been a fan of live-action Disney. Oh, uh, they have a couple. I like the Black Hole. People forget they did that. And that was surprisingly dark at times for a Disney films. I like... Dragon Slayer, that's another one that's surprisingly dark. Hell, they got a scene where baby dragons are eating the princess. That was awesome for a Disney movie. Uh, another one I always liked, now I haven't seen this one in freaking decades and decades, but The Watcher in I the I knew woods. you were going to say that. Well, that was their attempt at, at darkness. Yeah. And, you know, it's not terrible. And even it's... one of their animated films that nobody talks about, The Black Cauldron. I mean, they have a scene where the undead are rising up and marching, and that terrified. I mean, that's why it's not a big Disney film now. They try to forget about it. But when that came out, people, like, lost their shit. So Disney tried to do other things than just the Disney stuff. I just don't like them as a company. No. They're greedy. Yep. I mean, and that is not conjecture. That is fact. You know, in the midst of... Everything that has been going on the last couple years, they raised the prices, which were already astronomical and just cost prohibitive for most families in the country. They're also very selective they, in what they want to get behind. And, you know, they have all these political opinions, and that's great. Have them. Whatever. I don't care. But they're not consistent. Because they want to pander so much to China, because they have so many people, it is such a large market, that they'll wag their finger at people over here for saying the wrong thing. But here they got the Chinese government literally killing people just because I think they're Muslims. It's like a Muslim minority. And that's fine. That's okay. We can't say anything about that. It's like, really? Because, you know, money. So all their grandstanding, all their soapbox bullshit, money trumps. Which I'm not surprised about, but again, yeah, it's just, it's very, very hypocritical. I don't blame a company for trying to make money, but when you're doing it in ways that are just kind of disgusting, then... When you are grandstanding and virtue signaling over here about so much more minor things, and then... This other whole part of your company, you're just like, yeah, I guess we can do that. Just, you know, don't bring attention to it. Don't whatever. Fuck you. Also, You're being disingenuous. Also, I recently found out that they screwed over Tarantino with his release of oh, yeah, The I Hateful Eight, yeah. which, you know, that right there is enough to build my ire. But so I just, I'm just not a fan of the company. I'm no. not. And... I just think it's, and the, the biggest thing to me, honestly, is the prices and how disgusting it is that when 
we're going through all the things we've been going through and they think it's okay to try to squeeze even more out of people and people will pay it because for a lot of people it's a dream yeah to you know they they have wanted their whole life to go to Disney. It's something that was very important to them. And so now let's just see how much money we can get out of them. Fuck you. Then, of course, we just went off on another one of our rants. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then Steven goes on to say, <laughs> oh, and the number of jump scares and smile were intensified by that wicked soundtrack I loved. Ah, I agree. I'm glad he likes Smile so much because, again, I really, really like that movie. And the more I think about it and the more I see it, it is just so well done. It doesn't, you know, reinvent the wheel. It's not finding a cure for cancer or anything like that. It is just a good and fun horror movie that also has a deeper meaning if you look for it and go, you know, beneath the surface. I really want to see what this, the guy who wrote it and directed it, what he does next. Yes, I would be uh, definitely interested. I'm very pleased that it's gotten the amount of praise and adoration that it has and that it was so successful. Yeah. Okay, moving on to a message from Lucas. He says, hi, Brian and Jamie. Hello. Hi. After listening to the 2022 Top 10 episode, I had to chime in with my own list. Awesome. I had posted my list in the group, but after listening to a few pods, I realized I had totally spaced a few 22 horror movies that I watched. Here is my revised top 10. Uh, no problem. I do that all the damn time. <laughs> uh, starting with 10 and going to number one, he lists Crimes of the Future, which I have to admit, and I hate it, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I was thinking. And Cronenberg is my favorite director and I've had a couple people ask me my thoughts on the film and, and I had to be honest I'm like I haven't watched it I'm like what I'm shocked Did it and have, like, I a am super too limited release or something because I don't think we've been able to find it anywhere uh, I honestly haven't looked and I'll tell you why I'm scared that it's not good? I'm afraid. I have heard mixed yeah. reviews yeah. on it, and as, loving Cronenberg as much as I do, I've been afraid to watch it, and I will. I need to, but I don't know. There's a part of me that doesn't want to see something that is lackluster well, by him, if trust that makes me. sense. After watching Ghosts of Mars and The Ward and various other Carpenter films in the, you know, the winding down of his career, I know exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> he then goes on to list Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, then, there's no accounting for taste, I guess. Then Hellraiser. Okay, I like that one a lot. Which I'm happy to see that on a lot of people's lists as well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It is probably my third favorite Hellraiser film. Hell, hell, not really probably about it. It is my third favorite Hellraiser film of the franchise. Another horror icon released a new film this year that I have not seen, and that is Dark Glasses, which was the Argento movie. I know, that, that hurts my soul. It was one where, when I saw it, I was like, ooh, we gotta watch this, and then shit happened, and we never got back to it. And... I totally forgot about it until, like, basically right about now. <laughs> so, I have to rectify that soon. Uh, you know what we should do? We should do a movie night where we watch both. Yeah, I'd be down know, for that. And, and solve that problem. Uh, next, he has Hatching. Okay. The Sadness. Yeah. At number five. 
Okay. Then Don't Worry Darling, which I saw, but you didn't ever watch it, did you? No, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I called both... I'm not going to say anything just in case people didn't say it, but I made some assumptions about that movie, and therefore I was like, eh, I really don't want to see another take on this film. And from what I hear, my assumptions were right. Both of them. Pretty much. So. I enjoyed it, though. I loved the aesthetic. I thought it was not an original idea. No. But I did enjoy the way it was presented. Of course, Florence Pugh is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Chris Pine was very good. Uh, Harry Styles was very good. Like, the cast was fantastic. The It looked amazing. I really did enjoy watching it, only that it just didn't shock me or surprise me in any way, because it was pretty much not 100% what I thought it, what I was expecting it to be, but for the most part. Well, I'm sure I will watch it sometime, and hopefully given enough time, I'll go in there as fresh as eyes as I can do it, and give it its fair, fair time at court. Yeah. Uh, number three, he has The Menu. Yay! Which, another excellent film. Yes. Uh, number two, we're all going to the World's Fair. I gotta say, that was one I did see and I didn't care for. Yeah, I there were things about it that I liked, but I just felt like it was too drawn out. And yeah. I really feel like it was a story that was more suited to a short film. Yes. But, but hey, you know, I'm glad, glad that, you liked it. Yeah, for sure. And his number one, Terrifier 2. Okay. That's been one that's been appearing on a lot of lists, and it could have appeared on mine. I did like it. My big problem with the movie, it's way over long. It is way oh, too God, self-indulgent. It's so long. It's and, so and it doesn't need no. to be that long. There are numerous things that while we were watching the film, we yeah. were saying, well, that could go, that could go. That Trim could that go. down to a nice lean 90 minutes, and you have something amazing. But as it is, there is so much extra fluff in it that I'm just like, okay, get to it. Art has become one of my favorite characters. He was so good in that film. Yeah. I really enjoy David Howard Thornton. His and I liked him in the first Terrifier. I didn't like Art all that much in that one anthology show. All Hallows Eve. Yeah. But then again, I felt he was kind of shoehorned in when he didn't belong in some of the stories. But uh, since he's been, you know, getting his own movies... I think he's a great, wacky, silly, you know, and sadistic killer. Yeah, he's. I like how mean-spirited yeah. it is. He does go on to say, With Terrifier 2 in contention, nothing else stood much of a chance due to my deep love of slashers. Yeah. Art is the new horror icon, and I'm very happy about that. It's a shame that World's Fair isn't getting much love. That is a movie that hit me a lot harder and more personally than I expected. Well, there you go. That's good when a movie can do. Right. Thank you both for everything you do. I'll be a part of the House of Salmons as long as it's around. Aww. Well, we will keep the guest room open for yeah. you. <laughs> thanks for your list and thanks for listening. Yeah, that really means a lot. And, and that is not all. We have a uh, several top tens that were that were given to us, and I love this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is from Rob Wilson. Hey, Rob. Starting at number ten, we have Orphan Kills. Oh, good. Adult Swim Yule Log at number nine, which I don't know what that is. I've actually heard people mention it, how they really did enjoy it. Huh. And knowing Adult Swim and being a fan of Adult Swim and how they, they do a lot of off-kilter uh, yeah. stuff that's both funny and some stuff that's really surprisingly dark 
for Cartoon Network. So uh, I'll have to look up, look that up. Okay, number eight, he has Glorious, Yay! which made both of our lists. Um, Good man. Number seven is Black Phone, which also made both of yeah, our lists. Yeah, awesome. Number six, Slashback, which I have not seen. No. But I should check it out. Yeah, I don't uh, even know if I heard of that one. Then uh, Deadstream, which yeah. I really enjoyed. Yeah. I thought that was a fun movie. Mm-hmm. The Menu nice. at number four. Hellbender, yay, at number three. Very That's good. another one I really liked. Uh, number two, X. Awesome. And his number one film is Barbarian. Nice. He also seems to give some, I guess they probably end up being honorable mentions because they're just kind of at the bottom of his list, and that is No Exit, which I did thoroughly enjoy. I didn't count it as a horror film. For me, it's more of a thriller. Yeah, but I could see people, you know, saying it is. Yeah, I mean, and that's fine. And and I thought it was very good. Uh, Sissy, which we did not get around to watching. No, but I have heard some good things about it. And Prey, which we both yep. thoroughly enjoyed. And Made it was on list. your list. Yep. And then he asked, "Does uh, did sadness count as 2022? If so, it was like four or five. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, it, it does. does. So you should reorder your list, <laughs> my friend, because it does count. It was released here uh, on Shudder. In I want to say May, it sounds about April right. or May. So it definitely counts for 2022. I don't give a damn about production date. Yeah. Okay. Then we have Sean Clump, who gave us. Uh, we'll just do. We actually have his top 12, uh, which he included dark glasses. Nice. Uh, but going from his top 10, we have the menu, bones awesome. and all, which I loved. I thought it was okay. I have some problems with it. I know a lot of people loved it and made a lot of top ten lists, which surprised the hell out of me, but I'll just leave it at that. The movie wasn't really for me, I guess, so. I didn't really consider it a horror film. Well, it uh, is about people eating people. It, it <laughs> is, but that's not, it's not scary at all. And well, I don't, see, you know, and, you know, that's, I don't think the point was to be scary. I consider it more of a drama. Or and a I, love story. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, let's see. Then uh, Barbarian at number nice. eight. The Innocence at number seven, which That's we both really, really liked. Yeah. I, I could see that making my list, you know, if, of course, if I didn't have other stuff that I liked more. But no, that was a really good one. It reminded me a lot of Chronicle, uh, only with a very dark twist. Yeah, and I said the same thing. Number six, this makes me very happy. Speak no evil. Yeah, not me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And sorry, Nicole. I know Nicole's not a fan of that either. She has good taste. <laughs> uh, then number five, the sadness. Excellent. Number four, hatching. Nice. Number three, X. Number two, Pearl. And number one, men. Awesome. Which I've also seen a lot of people have on their list. And it was also one that I hadn't gotten around to watching. Now, I did, we watched, at least together, of course, there were some here and there that you may have watched that I didn't, or vice versa, but together, we watched 69 2022 movies, huh. so it's not like we just watched 10 and then named them all. We, <laughs> we, we did, but there were still a lot that I didn't get a chance to get around to. Real quick, there was a comment that Abraham made that says, he quoted you and said, if I could unsubscribe to you, I would. Uh, and I believe you said that to me. Yes. 
And he's like, he called you the king of subtle burns. <laughs> well, thanks. And he's not so subtle. <laughs> thanks, Ram. That but, was that was uh, that was nice. <laughs> uh, but he also included his list. Okay. So uh, looks like. If I'm reading this correctly, his number 10 would be Pray for the Devil, which shocks the hell out of me. I have not heard anything good about that film. I have just heard something good about it today. Seriously. And not from this list. Uh, This was some other YouTuber going, oh, this movie is better than you think it's going to be. So I might want to watch it now because I thought it looked horrible. Well, I wanted to watch it anyway, just because I like to watch everything. And Well, yeah, so do I, but I prioritize things, because let's face it, we have so much stuff we have to watch, I mean, and so much stuff we like to watch, we can't watch everything. No, and, and that's true, but and I When just, a movie like this comes out, I have no interest in it, I'm like, okay, you're going way on the back burner, for me. I did watch the ending explained video on it because he pretty much, he doesn't just talk about the ending of the movie. He goes through the entire film whenever he talks about a film. And that's a good resource that I find as like a brush up if I am about to talk about a movie and I haven't watched it in a while or something. Or if I'm trying to think of something from a movie, I'll find where he's done an episode on that. And it's a very good resource. But... I did watch the ending explained of Pray for the Devil, and I gotta say, it did not look promising. Like, it, after watching that, I was like, well, maybe I don't need to watch it. But, oh, yeah. I mean, if Abraham liked it, then I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I trust him. I trust his taste. Uh, next up, Black Phone. Case in point. Then Smile. Ah, uh, case in point. Then Nope. Nope, I've heard a lot of love for. Yeah, it made a lot of lists this year, not I for hours. No, but I, first off, I kind of forgot about the movie, to be honest. But I did really like it, but it is my third favorite Jordan Peele movie of the three he's done. Yeah, I would say the same. I don't know if that would make my top ten list in any regard, but I could see it making some. some Um, Next up, Spine of Night, which... uh, That is a movie we we did did watch. We did really like it. At least I know I did. No, I did. And I love that animation style, you know. um, Reminded me very much of the heavy metal cartoon, which I just adore. Honestly... I love that early 80s animation anyway. Things like Rock and Roll. Honestly, I don't know if I'd call this a horror movie. At least not for me, although it does have some horrible stuff in it. Actually, it has a lot of cosmic horror right out of Lovecraft in it. But then again, I'm not surprised because Lovecraft has a hell of a shadow, I keep saying. It's that chin. Well, yeah. I mean, that thing is ginormous. But, uh, I do need to watch that again. And, uh, See if I did honestly just forget about it and it would have made my list if I had remembered. Next up we have The Menu. Great. Then Bones and All. Okay. Then X. Okay. Barbarian. Nice. And his number one is Pearl. Nice. That is a very good list. Thanks for sharing it. Next up we have a comment from Pavo Berrios who says, Fantastic show. Loved both of the lists. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Pavo. Uh, then Nicole chimes in and she says, I'm so glad you guys are back. And I'm an idiot because I never listened to the last episode. I think I put it off because you were taking a hiatus. Then I forgot about it. I'll listen to that next. Or I might need to unsubscribe because Jamie put Speak No Evil on her list. <laughs> she says, just kidding. She's not going anywhere, hopefully. 
Though I did hate that movie, I, I actually regretted watching it. <laughs> that movie's garbage. I agree <laughs> with Brian's assessment completely. Unbelievable. We, what, wait, what'd you say? I didn't hear that. What was that? She said that she somehow fell into a hole of bad taste for uh, just a moment. No, no, no. What was that? <laughs> she said she agrees with you. Uh, all right. I knew there was a reason I liked her. <laughs> um, completely unbelievable, especially as a parent. I would have killed that one guy in his sleep after finding my daughter in their bed, and I don't think I'm in the minority. No, you're not. Uh, but again, uh, I will say again, it's uh, it's satirical. It is... Well, yeah, that was the director and the writer, his same guy. That was his point, and I get that. I really do, but... I just don't agree with it at all, and it doesn't hit me. So I'm like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> that movie is just... Because, again, it's not played as satire. It's played as a straight film throughout. And then you get to the end, and it's, Oh, would you mind going down there and taking your clothes off so we can stone you to death? Oh, okay, sure, no problem. Fuck you! No, I think it is very obviously played as satire. I don't know. I did not get that at all. But then again, I'm not Norwegian or whatever nationality he hails from that he's making fun of. Uh, she goes on to say, but for my favorite movies of the year, and I will go in reverse order at number 10, Hellraiser. Nice. This movie breathed new life into the Hellraiser series. Oh, yeah. And it was desperately needed. It's the best sequel after two. Yep. Love the look of the Cenobites mm -hmm. and how they added to the lore. This is how you do a reboot. I do I not agree. disagree at all. I thought it was great. I love how they incorporated the box. And the multiple stages. Yes. And, and they gave it of the box. They gave it something to do other than just in the later sequels being in the background. I know? will say this about the box and one little... I don't like the idea that it pricks your finger and gets some of your blood and then you're somehow connected to it. I don't think that should be part of the mythos. It never was before. It doesn't fit into the whole questing for greater horizons of experience and basically damning yourself. It could be, you know, you could throw it at a kid and if this stupid thing triggers, then it's going to prick his hand and now he's going to be all wrapped up in the Cenobites. I do That's agree. That's not what they were supposed to be. It was supposed to be you damned yourself. Yeah, I do agree with that because it takes choice completely yes. out of the matter. That was one of the great things about part two when the Cenobites get their ass kicked and you get to see all of them in their human form. And Chatterer, always my favorite Cenobite, reverts back to a child. And not only is that creepy, because A, he was the best looking Cenobite. B, he was like the most, he was, he was always the enforcer of the Cenobites. Like the other ones would come out and they'd, oh, such sights and we're gonna get you. But he was the one who'd walk up, grab the person, stick his fingers in their mouth, hold them. So, you know, the other guys could, you know, monologue at him and stuff. And he turned out to be a kid. Yeah. And then you think of, what kind of evil kid was that? Yeah, it's very <laughs> What kind dark. of sadomastic, you know? Yeah, I love that. Now it's just more like, yeah, you know, anybody can become a victim or, you know, fall prey to the Cenobites. Whether they know it or not. Or seeking it or not. I, yeah, I do like how, uh, you know, just go all the way back to the first one when we have Frank obtaining the box on purpose 
from this very mysterious dealer. I think it's the same guy who sells Mogwais. <laughs> but he, this is side job. He knew, His side hustle. He knew what he was doing. Yes, he sought it out, and that is the mystery of it, and what makes it so compelling. Even in part two, you get the one mute girl who's really good at puzzles. The doctor uses her to solve the mm-hmm. puzzle box. The Cenobites come out, and they're getting ready to go in on her. And Pinhead comes up and goes, "Wait." It's not hands that call us. Exactly. It's desire. So they leave her alone because they realize she didn't know what the hell she was doing. And they go for the asshole who made her play with the box. I like the fact that the Cenobites had a bit of honor. It always gave them depth. Well, again, it's that old, it's a twist on the old, you know, saying, be careful what you wish for. I mean, again, these people go looking for this. They're so jaded. Everything is just so, uh, you know, nothing is new. I've experienced everything I can yeah, experience. they've done everything. They've tried every drug. they fucked every person. they tried every position, every kink, every this, and nothing is enough for them. And here come the Cenobites. Oh, yeah? We got something for you. And it's only then do they realize, oh, boy, I fucked up. I do like the movie a lot. It is my third favorite of the Hellraiser movies. But then again, that's not too hard to say because most of those movies suck. (laughs) Okay, well, her number nine is The Black Phone. Nice. Uh, She says, again, I have nothing to add to what you already said. Oh, awesome. Number eight is Fresh. Yay! Probably the most fun I had watching a movie. It wouldn't be half as good if not for Sebastian Stan's charm. And I 100% agree with that. Uh, So do I. If they had cast anyone else, it may not have drawn me in as much as it did, but I think he was perfect for that role. And uh, it was just, it was brilliant and a lot of fun. It was a film that, like I said, when we did our top 10 list, it stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number seven, Pearl. Nice. I'm opposite of a lot of people, but I loved this more than X. Um, I know a lot of people who... Yeah, that seems to be what I think is a more common answer. I've seen a lot of people putting that ahead of X. Now, me, I said when we did the show, and I'll say again, I liked X more. It just speaks to me more. The scene, Uh, the characters, the story, the plot, the kills, everything about it, I think, is better than Pearl. But I do think Pearl is an excellent film. As did I. I prefer X over Pearl. Not by a whole lot. And I I said I gave my reasons on the show. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people love Pearl. And I've seen it as numerous number ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number six, The Cursed. Yay! Yay! I was so afraid that movie would have been forgotten by the end of the year. I know, and it actually has come up quite a few times. No, surprisingly, yeah. Uh, She says, agree with both of you. Love werewolves and period pieces. Nice. Yeah, I... Can't argue with that. Uh, number five, Watcher. As a woman, this one hit differently. And add her being in a foreign country and her spouse not believing her, that just made it scarier. I didn't see it. No. I've heard good things about it. We need to watch it. Just uh, Number four is Smile. Nice. Brilliant movie. Creepy as hell. I loved the mental illness aspect and I had never seen Sosie before but I can't wait to see her in more movies. I agree with that. I'm glad people are picking up on the whole uh, mental illness metaphor. Honestly, I think that's because our listeners are so damn smart because uh, in various other shows, YouTubers and all that, a lot of people had this on their 
you know, on their top ten list, but nobody seemed to really be mentioning that part of the movie. Either they didn't get it, or they just didn't feel the need to mention it. But I think that is such a important part of the film, at least for me, it's one of the reasons I liked it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear our listeners getting that as well. I think a lot of people just weren't looking for depth in a no. film that was a mainstream film that had a, you know, a big marketing campaign that made a lot of money. Uh, because up until recently, that's not, those aren't the type of films you would necessarily see no, doing well in the theater. They were, Or even if they do well, there's not much. Like the movie Ouija, the first one. When that came out, it made bank, but it's not a good movie at right. all. Right, and I think that's what people think, is if, a, if yeah. there's a, a movie that hits with the mainstream, it must not have anything of quality to say. Well, there's that's another reason why I put it at my number one. Mainly to shake people up a little bit, because I don't see anyone else putting it at their number one. And I do legitimately love that movie, so don't think I just did it just to be provocative or different. I think that movie is much better than the majority of people are given credit, so I really wanted to highlight it. Uh, number three, Terrifier 2. Nice. This also pushed boundaries with its gore, but it was much more mean-spirited than the sadness. You think so? But I adore Art and David Howard Thornton. I agree with that. You think it's? Do you think it's much more mean-spirited than the sadness? I think it's... Hella hard to get more mean-spirited than The Sadness. That movie is just (laughs) insane with what they do. I am so surprised at what they got away with. Maybe because it is a foreign film and, you know, their standards are different. I don't think that movie would have flied even as an independent here in the U.S. Now, I do, like I said, I really liked Terrifier 2. I think it is a bit too long, but... I do really appreciate the gore. I love art, and I love the, you know, just how he goes in on that girl, starts cutting her up, he walks away, then he comes back with some salt. <laughs> yeah, now that is mean-spirited. Yes. Like. <laughs> but the sadness, wow. That was just a whole nother, for me anyways. It was just craziness. Then our number two is The Innocence. I feel like no one is talking about this, and I'm not sure why. Uh, well... I'm not sure why either, although I have to say we didn't talk about it, no. but we did both really like it. To be honest, that should have made my, at least my honorable mentions. Yeah. I just totally blinked on that, so that's my bad. I should have mentioned it. And then, of course, our number one mirrors my number one, which is why I forgive her for Speak No Evil. <laughs> and she says, the sadness. Yay! Yay for Jamie having it as her number one. Yay. I loved how it pushed boundaries. It was gory, but had heart. Yes. And it did. And... I think it was very well-rounded. To be fair, it was my number two, and it was just an inch away from being my number one. Well, and honestly, that surprised me. I fully expected it to be your number one. I know. <laughs> like I said, I wanted to shake things up. But hell, a lot of people... Uh, they contacted you and tried to predict my number one, and they said it would be the sadness. Yeah. So, I hate being predictable. <laughs> nah, I don't mind. <laughs> I'm a basic bitch, I admit it. Also, uh, David James, uh, Dave James Parker from uh, 22 Shots, well, he also has Mr. Parker 
on YouTube. Look him up. I love I love him. He shared with me his top 25, but we'll just go top 10 here, which you can hear on 22 Shots. If you haven't listened to that show, I recommend it. It was a fun listen. His yes, number 10 is Halloween Ends, Ugh. which <laughs> I don't have a problem with. I, I do. like that movie. But hey, more power to you, dude. Then Smile. Nice. Nope. Nice. Barbarian. Nice. The Menu. Nice. The Cursed. Nice. At number five. Then Bones and All. Eh. Pearl. Nice. X. Another one who put X above Pearl. So good on you. And his number one, The Sadness. Awesome. That's a very good list, man. Then we have uh, Debbie. Uh, Debbie Lynn says... Angry Brian makes a great podcast, even greater. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) I loved hearing about your lists and why each movie was chosen. It would be hard to choose who has the better list because, honestly, they are equally good. Aw, thank you. I mean, we all know I did, but thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yeah, and by the way, that Angry Brian was after me pulling chunks (laughs) out. I don't know what the hell got into him that I don't day. Either. <laughs> I swear to God, I didn't feel angry about anything. I wasn't mad. No, going into not the on recording. a conscious lever level, I no. was like just fine. But afterwards, I was listening to you edit the show, and it's rare when I say, "God damn." <laughs> I was pissed about something. And he's like, ooh, I was in a mood. And I'm like, I know. So I did a, I had to do another pass on this show because I'm like, you know, I don't want to start off the season <laughs> with too much angry. But and I did leave some in there because it's just funny. And that is honest. It's not like it's a character I'm putting on or no. anything like that. No. no. <laughs> I... I get passionate about certain things. That's a good word for it. (laughs) Anyways, continue. Okay, uh, she then provides her list. Awesome. Uh, Number 10, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Nice! Which I'm so excited. We just watched it again. Yeah. uh, And it's still really good. Yeah, it's a a really fun movie. It is. I have such a good time with that film. That's an example of a movie, like certain other movies you've already talked about, I was like, eh, I don't want to watch that. I know what it's going to be. Meh. Well, the only reason we saw it in the theater was because we had no power. power, (laughs) So we went to the movies. And I'm glad we did. Yeah, I really have fun with that movie. Uh, Number nine, Glorious. Nice. Number seven, Crimes of the Future. Oh, wait, sorry. Number Number eight eight is Hellraiser. Okay, awesome. Number seven, Crimes of the Future. We definitely have to see that. Number six, The Menu. Nice! Then Deadstream. I'm glad with how many people have The Menu on their list. So am I, because it was not around for a very long time. No. It came right at the end of the year, and yeah, in theaters, it was a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of thing, at least around here. So, uh... Yeah, we um, had to wait until it came to HBO. Yeah. I'm glad it was uh, received so well. I really liked it. Oh, it was so good. Then Deadstream. Nice. Again, I think we mentioned this earlier, but I did really like Mm -hmm. that movie. I thought it was great. Pearl. Awesome. Then X. All right, that is the proper order. (laughs) Then uh, number two, Barbarian. Nice. And number one, Smile. Hey, another number one for Smile. I know there's a reason I like her. (laughs) Good on you. That's a good list. Then we had a comment uh, from Andrew Huff. Nice. Hi, Andrew, uh, who is 
his show is Friday the 13th. Which is awesome. Which is a, that's a great show. Get Slayed. I love it. It's not only an awesome show, that's a great name. <laughs> no, it is. It's a, yeah, it's a very fun name. And they are a Dread Central podcast now, mm. so congratulations to them. Awesome. I have been for a while, but I don't know that I've ever mentioned it, so good on them. I'm, I just, I love that for them. Mm-hmm. Andrew has been around for a very long time. Like, he's he's someone I've known for years and years and years, and he's always been incredibly supportive, so thank you for that. And he says, We're so happy to see you two back in my feed! Yay! Thanks! <laughs> also, very happy to see some love for Smile. Look at that shit. God, I love that. <laughs> On the best of list for Brian. Yay! Felt like that movie got either huge praise or was gutted by horror fans. Jamie, I really need to get my ducks in a row and get to the sadness. Thanks again. Oh, yes, you do. For the ear entertainment. Hashtag get slayed. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> you should watch the sadness. And I would actually, you know what? I would love it if you guys would talk about that on the show. I think that'd be an, and I guarantee you could find it. They do uh, like real life horror and they also do some like political bent to it which is they well the way they do it is very entertaining and i guarantee that if they were to talk about the sadness they could find a way to work it into their show in a very interesting way and i think that's about everything um that we've gotten yeah i mean of recent if you did send us something and we didn't mention you sorry for that we took a few months off for the holidays of course but also just to reboot the show and to get a break (laughs) but during that time we got a lot of correspondence from various listeners and friends and we get it from email facebook uh dms so something of yours could have very easily fallen through the cracks yeah again if you do want to email us you can email us at maven1974 at gmail.com and if you put like HOS or House of Salmons in the subject line. I always do a search for those two before. Or Brian is always right. I would never search for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're just bitter. (laughs) Whatever. Oh, we did have a Patreon comment from Nicole uh, referring to our Friday retrospective. Oh, nice. Uh, She said, I actually rewatched the first a couple weeks ago with my daughter. She loves horror and some slashers, so I thought she'd like this. She was not a fan that Jason is not the killer in the first movie. <laughs> I'm still, I can't fault her for that. <laughs> I'm still trying to convince her to watch the second one. Aw, that's awesome. Good on you for bringing the next generation upright. But yeah, I could see that. Hell, a lot of people probably have that problem going into the Friday films now. I can't tell you how many people that I have shown the original Friday to over the years that were completely shocked. (laughs) They had no idea. Yeah. And they're like, wait, where's Jason? Wait, where's Jason? And I'm like, ugh. I can't remember my reaction when I first saw it because it was so long ago. Well, that was the first one I ever saw, so I didn't know any different. Yeah. Well, I saw, as everybody knows by now, part four first. But then the very next day, I rented parts one through three and just watched them in a row and i can't remember if i was like where the hell is jason or because it was jason's mom i was like oh that makes sense okay well i guess that's gonna wrap up the correspondence okay 
Thank you, everyone, for your feedback and comments and lists and everything else. Yeah, I know this is this lead-in has been an hour. Oh wow! <laughs> but it's our first time back after a long absence, so we will wrap this up right here, and we'll come back with our movie selections for this episode. Yay! here we have to do the alphabet no way i'm busting loose (sighs) that's the son of the abcs of hidden horror okay we are back and the first film we're going to be talking about today is intruder the 1989 supermarket slasher made by scott spiegel it was directed by scott spiegel and it was written by scott spiegel with a story from lawrence bender The same Lawrence Bender that you will recognize in the credits of Quentin Tarantino movies. And as most of you probably already know, Scott Spiegel and Sam Raimi are friends. So they actually all grew up right around here. Oh, yeah. Um, Scott Spiegel, the Raimi brothers, and Bruce Campbell all grew up right around where we live, Mm -hmm. which is cool. And the, the store, the Walnut Lake Market that's in the film which was actually filmed in California, was a real store that Scott Spiegel worked in. And the uh, they actually give an address in the movie. I don't know if it's an accurate address, but if it is, it is now an Ace Hardware. <laughs> so that is the Walnut Lake Market. And it's in Walnut Lake, or was in Walnut Lake, Michigan. And it's about three miles from us. Yeah, and other Michigan connections, just in case people don't believe it, they mention streets and roads that are very common and well-known here. Nine Mile, Shiawassee. Nine Mile and Shiawassee's in Farmington Hills. Yes. Which is right down the street. Not to mention Walnut Lake, which is both a town and a street. And so, yeah, you add that to the fact that Spiegel and Ramey and Ted Ramey and Bruce Campbell and all that, the whole crew, they're from here. And they all knew each other, and they all, you know, did work together. Spiegel was on the set of Evil Dead 2 and maybe Evil Dead 1, I can't remember. But they have all done movies together for a long time, so, yeah. I like how they all just stick around. I mean, that's why Bruce Campbell's in this movie. He only shows up for, like, you know, a A minute. A minute at the end. But you got both Ted and Sam, who has longer parts in here. And that's rare. Ted, he always pops up in movies to get killed, but you rarely see Sam Raimi on this side of the camera. Yeah, everyone's probably, like, will come in and do a cameo or something. But that's about it. Another cool connection that I've always liked, and I kind of discovered this the reverse way, meaning I didn't pick it up from this film. I am a huge fan of the Coen brothers. And uh-huh. Raising Arizona is one of my all-time favorite movies. Great movie. And there's a story that... The guy that works with Nicolas Cage, hi, uh, the guy that works with him in the plant, he's telling a story about a guy walking down Nine Mile with a head in one hand and a sandwich in the other. And then the first time I saw Intruder, I was like, wait a minute, that's the same goddamn story. And it is, Nine Mile and the same name. They use the name Parker. Here comes Parker. Yeah, uh, the Coens are also buddies with Raimi. 
And I want to say they were also on the set of uh, The Evil Dead, either one or two, maybe both. All this can be backed up in various commentaries from either Evil Dead 1 or 2. So yeah, it's all one big hodgepodge of people who know each other and they often help each other. But I always wonder, once you pointed that out, Raising Arizona came out first, the movie, mm -hmm. but was this story from, you know, this side of the tracks? Because they mentioned Nine Mile, and Nine Mile is a famous road in Michigan. Not quite as famous as Eight Mile, because that was made more famous because of Eminem. But I wonder how many other cities out there have just mile streets. Did you have any in Georgia? No, uh, but I think in the Midwest it's fairly common. And mm. I know that in Nebraska they have letter streets run one way. I don't know the I don't know exactly, so we'll just say east to west, and then number streets run north to south. Well, so it's of, like a grid. Well, yeah, a lot of places do that. New York does that too, but they don't have an eight mile, a nine mile, no. a ten mile. No, and for anybody outside of Michigan who. I've always wondered what that meant uh, because it comes up, you know, in movies a lot, you know, mm -hmm. like in It Follows, you know, they say, oh, we're not supposed to go past eight mile. Those are the miles outside of Detroit. So it's like it, um, like Detroit is the hub and then it sort of springs out. So if you take the mile road, that's how many miles away you are from the hub. Roughly. Roughly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's not going to be exact, but that's the idea, is that it's like a like a bullseye, kind of, you know, kind of, with the rings around it. I don't know if that was a story that, because Raising Arizona came out in 87, Intruder came out in 89. If they already knew each other, that could have just been a story that they told each other, to yeah. the Coen brothers, and then the Coen brothers used it. But anything, like, if you try to look it up, it just, the only thing you can ever find is, you know... That story was lifted from Raising Arizona. So it could have been a story that the Coen brothers used, and then because it referenced Nine Mile, maybe Scott decided to put it in his movie as well. I don't really know. I, I have not been able to find why it was used, but I just thought that was really neat. It's the same exact story with the same character name and the same road. Now, uh, I actually did ask if there was a Nine Mile road in Arizona, and... She came back, she being Alexa, came back with... You gotta whisper that other she'll wake she'll up. She'll wake up, yeah. <laughs> uh, She's and, always listening, goddamn spy device. And she came back with Nine Mile Canyon Road. And, and then I assume if you're local, you probably just refer to it as Nine Mile. So it could have originated from Arizona. Maybe. And maybe they just used it because it's also Nine Mile. Or, like we said... Maybe it was a story that they told the Coens. I mean, who knows? But it's still a really neat connection. Another connection that, again, I assume just came up from all these guys knowing each other and always working with each other and stuff. There's a lot of interesting, and I really do mean that, I like that, cinematography in this movie. Oh, my God. And yeah. shots. I mean, they're right out of what you'd see in the Evil Dead well, and that's the thing I find interesting is that everyone always talks about Raimi when they talk about these cool these shots, cool and, shots and everything, yeah. but Spiegel yeah. has a ton of them in Intruder, and is that because he came up with Sam Raimi? Yeah, did one influence the other, or 
since they all, you know, came up together, did they all, did they just influence, did their influence grow between them kind of organically? In other words, that's what they all liked. So when Sam did his movies, he did it. And when Scott did his movie, or at least this one, uh, he did it as well. Yeah, I mean, you get cool things like uh, when Renee Estevez is using the phone, it's the shot up through the phone dialer, yeah. you know, and then when they're talking about Jennifer's ex-boyfriend being Me in prison, yeah. she kind of steps to the side and there's a like some bars that are in front of her. You get a floor cam where you're shooting up straight from the floor. When somebody gets killed, blood drips on a light bulb, turning the whole shot red. Just that's, like Evil Dead. Yeah, that's right out of Evil Dead. So there's a lot of these similar oh. visual jokes. Also, Sam Raimi's character in the movie at one point is singing the same song that Shelley sings in the car on the way to the cabin in Evil Dead. Yeah. So there's a lot of almost inbreeding going on yeah. with this movie. But, you know, I kind of dig it. I, I love it. I mean, here's something. Now, granted, I'm not famous in any way, <laughs> way shape, or form, but I often put in-jokes in the stories I write. And every once in a while, somebody will get one or two of them, but, you know, artists just do that. They like to, you know, have a wink and a nod. I always like to do it as long as it doesn't get in the way of the story. Like, I'm not going to purposely go out of my way to put an in-joke in there or a mention or something like that. But as long as it flows well and doesn't get in the way, yeah, I'll do it. I love when filmmakers do that and then they don't tell you about yeah. it. And then if you know, you know. That's... And if you can pick them out, you pick them out. Yeah. Just like when I, the very first time I watched this movie... Already having been very familiar with Raising Arizona, I immediately picked up on that. Mm -hmm. You know, the when I first watched this movie and Randy, which is Sam Raimi's character, is singing that song. Obviously, I was already familiar with Evil Dead. I immediately picked that up. So, I love that shit. Yeah. I think that's very cool. It's just like I love when directors use the same actors. A lot of people don't like that, but I really do. I, I feel like... One, you're going to get a better performance out of someone that you have a relationship yes. with. You already know how you work together. Yeah, it, it very much falls back into just shorthand. You know, you can talk to, hey, you know, do that thing where, you know, how you look over here and, oh, okay. And, you know, they know each other. So, yeah, it's just naturally going to work better together. I don't fault any director for ever doing that. No, it's just like if somebody works with Bill Skarsgård a lot, they could go, hey, you know, do that eye thing you yeah. do. <laughs> the wonky eye thing. But as for the cast for this film, we have Liz Kern playing Jennifer Ross, Renee Estevez as Linda, Dan Hicks as Bill Roberts. He's just crazy about the store. <laughs> David Burns as Craig Peterson, Sam Raimi as Randy, Eugene Glazer as Danny, Billy Marty as Dave, Burr Steers as Bub. Burr Steers. <laughs> Craig Stark as Tim, Ted Raimi as Produce Joe, L.V. Moore, and Tom Lester, both from Green Acres. Now, I don't know why they, maybe they just love the Green Acres show. I don't know. I used to love it when I was growing up. Yeah. I don't know if there's a connection there or if they just are fans of Green Acres, so they pulled two actors from that show, but no, that's cool. Emil Sitka... Uh, and then Bruce Campbell, of course, shows up at the end with Lawrence Bender. Lawrence Bender is the other cop. Mm. So there are two cops that show up at the end. One of them is Bruce Campbell. One of them is Lawrence Bender. 
Scott Spiegel himself plays the bread man. And then, oh, and Greg Nicotero shows up because K&B did the effects for this. And I want to say this is their first movie. I think it might be their first official movie. Once again, they all worked together on, I think it was Evil Dead 2. Oh, okay. I remember when I, one time when I was watching this movie, I noticed that K&B did the effects. and. Mm-hmm. This um, was even before they worked. I was going to say they weren't even credited they were just three as guys. yeah. They weren't even credited as K and B. It just has their names listed. So it was before they even formed K and B. But I feel like oh wait a minute was Wishmaster their first movie as K and B? That could be wrong, but for some reason that that sounds about right. That's, yeah. For some reason that's sticking in my head, but I could be wrong about that. So don't quote me. Well, no, wasn't Wishmaster directed by Berger? I wonder if uh, Bruce Campbell's name, which you never no actually, Kurtzman, it was K. No, that was Robert Kurtzman, the K in K&B. Oh, okay. So, I'm pretty sure they had a hand in doing all the special effects, but I don't know if it was official K&B work there. Here's a fun thing, too. Bruce Campbell's name in the movie is Officer Howard, which I would lay money down. I would pull everything I had out of my pockets and put it on the counter and say, I will bet money they named him after Mo Howard. Yes, you know, because they are obviously, if you watch any any Sam Raimi movies, you yeah. know he is a big Three Stooges fan, and you know, they, they use those names a lot. They coined the term fake fake Shemp. Shemp. So, yeah. yeah, so I will bet that's where his last name Probably. came from. I don't know. Lawrence Bender's character is called Officer Adams, so I don't know. That I don't know. I don't Maybe know. Maybe Charles that's Adams. Oh no, that's spelled with two D's. This oh. is just spelled with one. Okay. That was just a shot in the dark. I don't know. Not every name has to mean something. I know, but it just seems like if you have two guys in one scene and one name means something, that the other one would too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like maybe if his name was Fine or something, it'd be like Larry Fine mm-hmm. from the Three Stooges. Maybe one of them was Adams? I don't think so, though. Cause Curly, Shemp, and Moe were all Howards, mm-hmm. I think. And then Larry was Larry Fine. Ah, fuck, I don't know. But was there anything else interesting you wanted to bring up? Oh, I will say that there are two different stories flying around about where they filmed the movie. Uh, One thing I found said that they filmed it at a store, an actual grocery store in Bell, California, that was closed in the evening, so they filmed it, you know, during closing hours, kind of like Romero did with Dawn of the Dead. However... There's also, and this is the one that you said Spiegel told, right? Yeah. Is that it was an actual, they rented out an empty grocery store, and then they had, uh, there's a company that specializes in bringing in damaged goods. And, like, not necessarily rotted, but over the... uh, Expiration. Yeah, expiration date, stuff like that. Yeah. So things that you can't actually sell anymore, but then you can use them and stuff like this. And honestly, that's a cool idea. That's a cool idea for a business. But I tend to, well, since he told that story himself, that'd be the one that I'd be more likely to believe. Also, it's the one that makes the most sense. Because if you really pay attention when they're walking through the store, there is a scene uh, where Jennifer, and I don't know why, why they didn't catch this. Because... They sit on this for a while, and you'd think they would have paid better attention. But there is a scene where she's in the, the aisle with, like, the laundry detergents, and she's walking by the section that has the spray starch. And there's a whole row of faultless spray starch, and all the cans, they're aerosol cans, all the cans are missing caps. 
Yeah. But then, oddly enough, there's a bottle of ranch dressing practically right next to that. So it doesn't, the layout doesn't completely make sense. No, and I'm pretty sure, right, once again, back in the day, in the old times of the 80s where all the dinosaurs live, they just put stuff on shelves. And they actually did a good job because it looks like a real active grocery store. It does. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that I mean, these shelves are stocked, but they probably weren't paying that much attention to make sure everything, you know, has rhyme or reason. They would just put stuff up. And so, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of times where they had stuff not making any sort of logical sense being next to each other on the shelves or being out of place. Oh, there's also that, um, there's a popcorn display mm-hmm. uh, toward the end. And they're at the top of the display shelf, it says thrift store. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know what that is unless they pulled it, you know, from an like an, a, a thrift store that wasn't in use anymore. And they just took the display bit and used it in the movie. I don't know. But a lot of neat stuff like that. So but what I was originally going to say is back during the 80s, chances are you're going to watch this on either a movie screen or a VHS tape. You couldn't get that much fine detail. That's my point. Yeah. So I don't think they ever expected anyone to be able to pick this shit out. Well, and they probably didn't expect a lot of people to see it. Well, I mean that too. You know, just because it was such a little movie, and I don't think it really gained notoriety until it got released on Blu-ray. Maybe DVD. But uh, we have the Synapse Blu-ray. It looks awesome. And it's beautiful. But yeah, so I mean, it's just those things back then people didn't expect people to pay that close attention. Yeah. You know, so. Again, they just wanted stuff on their shelves, so that's what they got. Yeah, but it works. Uh, but, and it's also fun. You know, when you, once you know this stuff about it, you go through and you're like, start really paying attention to things. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, why don't we talk about the movie itself? Unless there was anything else you wanted to bring up. No, that's about it. Okay. The movie takes place in the Walnut Lake Market. And we are here with the night crew. Oh, which, by the way, this is based on an, a short... Super 8 film that Scott Spiegel made called The Night Crew. It was a little bit different. Scott himself used to work at the Walmart Lake grocery store. Yeah. And I can tell when he was working there, he was walking around doing his thing. But when he would see, he was seeing stuff and going, ooh, I wonder how, imagine if your head got stuck in there. Mm -hmm. Or imagine if this happened to you. Because this movie really utilizes the grocery store space and all the various stuff you will find in there, it uses it very well. So I can, I I would put money down that, yeah, during his bullshit time or whatever, he was just bopping around going, ooh, you know, there's a meat slicer. You know, what happens if you would stick your hand in that? Or, ooh, there's this. Imagine if you got your face on these meat hooks and shit like that. Because one of the best things about this movie it's a very simple story. It's a very basic slasher if you just look at it from a story perspective. There ain't much here. But it excels in A, all those cool camera shots that Spiegel does. Mm-hmm. And also B, thankfully that now that the uh, uncensored, unedited version is out, all these cool kills. Because this movie has a lot of good kills. I naturally has KMB doing the effects, but I mean, just good ideas behind kills and setups and jokes. Like this one guy cut in half, 
You know, he has his chest and upper body in one bin and his legs in the other bin. And then somebody put a sign in front of him that said, half off. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, they you can tell tongue was firmly planted in cheek when they made this. They were having fun in it shows. Well, what job have you ever worked where you didn't walk around thinking about ways no. to kill people yeah, at that exactly. job? You know, I mean, it's... I've always done that. Yeah. <laughs> but... And I worked at a grocery store. I worked at a Kroger's. Oh, that was... Uh, oh, not your first job. That was My your second, second job, yep. right? And we had all these... You know, the big box smasher, we had that. All the various saws and everything, we had that too. So, yeah, I can guarantee you he was walking around going, hmm, I can do something with this. I could do something with that. So, that's really, that's neat. I like that. Yeah. I just really love this movie. It's very homegrown. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. And you can tell it wasn't a studio film. This is something that they made... Because they wanted to. Yeah, this is about as indie as you can get. Now, it has some more notable names than others, but that's because they were in the business at this time. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, used to making some movies. And so, yeah, they called all their friends, and they probably called in some favors and everything else. But the basic idea is that we have the night crew of this supermarket. You know, they're going about their business. The store is about to close, and this guy comes in who is the ex-boyfriend of Jennifer who is our final girl. And he has just gotten out of prison. I think his name is Red. Red Herring. Because ah. <laughs> he so obviously is. He's got the biker jacket. He's got some scruff on his face. and They mention, oh, he had to go to jail because he killed somebody. Now, supposedly it wasn't his fault. It was like a bar fight that got out of hand. But still... He has killed somebody. Oh, I wonder if he knows Nicolas Cage. Yeah, maybe. He Did looks, he bring her a bunny? <laughs> he looks like a hoodlum. And he's also violent. I mean, he smacks his girlfriend around. He basically takes on the whole store at one time, you know, trying to fight everybody. So, yeah, he is supposed to be the, quote, killer of this. Yeah, he comes back. He wants to talk to her. She doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And so then they have a big tussle. He gets kicked out. The store then closes, and everybody's, like, just doing their job. They're stocking shelves and all of this. Well, there comes a time when they all take a break together, and that's when they tell the Nine Mile Road story. But they also find out that this store is going to close. Yeah, uh, the first of this coming month, they're all going to be let go because they're going to sell the store. And there's two guys who own the store, but one guy owns 51%. And the other guy only owns 49. So the guy who owns the 51, he is the big boss. And he's the one who wants to sell. Yeah. The other guy's like, look, you know, I, I love this store. I grew up here and I've been here for 10 years. And I like all you kids. And I want, you know, it was up to me would stay open, but it's not. Yeah, I guess they've been steadily losing money over the last two years. Well, a lot of those little mom and pop grocery stores, I mean, I'm amazed any of them are open. I mean, hell, we used to have one right next to us, and I loved it because yeah, things there were a little bit more expensive than it would be at a Kroger or a Walmart or anything. But it was nice just having a little store where if you were just missing one thing, you could just run there, grab it, and run home. 
you'd have to drive all the way to here and deal with all the crowds and all that stuff. Is there a grocery store chain other than Kroger up here that's a chain? Well, we used to have Farmer Jack. That used to be a Michigan thing, and I think it spread out to a couple of the surrounding states. But that was a big chain back when I was a kid, but they all closed down. There's Kroger. There used to be some A&Ps up here, but I haven't mm. seen one of them in forever. Did you ever, like, have, like, Save-A-Lot or anything like that? I've seen one or two of them up here. Okay. Because back home, we have Kroger, Publix, Ingles, Winn-Dixie. Like, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, here... Harris Teeter. Now, anyways, you have Kroger, Walmart, of course, and uh, Meyer. Meyer's another oh, Michigan yeah. one. Yeah. That also spread out to some surrounding states, but, you know, and uh, Aldi. Yeah. And that's about it. The little mom and pop stores, I think, are all gone. Or if there's any around here, I don't know where they're at. Yeah, so this one is on the decline. And the the guy with the most says, hey, we're going to sell. Well, turns out he's not real happy about that idea. Because he's just crazy about the store. Yeah, uh, eventually find out he's the killer. And his motive is just... He just doesn't want to close the store. Yeah, I can get... If that was your motive, I can get him killing the... His co... The owner, yeah. yeah. Maybe doing that. But he just goes off on a nut, and he says, I guess I just got carried away. I mean... Yeah, he kills the entire staff. Yeah. And she's like, you know, why? Why did you... The night crew had nothing to do with that. And he's like, I guess I just got carried away. <laughs> it's a very lame reasoning for it is to be a, you know, a slasher killer. But who cares? You're not coming here for that. <laughs> right. I mean, the story really doesn't even matter. You come uh, here for the cool kills. I like the characters. They're all characters. In other words, they all have quirks. They're all funny. You know, they all have their own little personality. And they have some really inventive kills. Yes. Uh, Sam Raimi's character, Randy, he gets a meat hook. He's the butcher, or the he works in the meat department, I guess. He gets a, a meat hook up through his chin and I what I like about that is you get the kill but it doesn't just kill him and then you know cut to something else or whatever uh, I mean it, it does actually cut to something else but they come back to him because the Jennifer character finds his body later and then she at one point is trying to get away from Bill and she's like slamming this cooler door on him but he won't like, his, she just keeps slamming it on his hand, but it's not working, and she can't close the door. So she grabs the hook that she has, and she <laughs> hooks Sam's body and drags it, because it's hanging from, like, the, the uh, meat conveyor. Conveyor belt, yeah. And he she drags it over to, like, block the door, which... And he's hanging there, just blocking the door. And Sam Raimi, and you know it's actually Sam Raimi, like, instead of... A dummy. A dummy, because yeah. it, it is clearly a real person is just hanging there having to hold this dead face and not move mm -hmm. and not breathe. Uh, but he does a really good job. It, it just, it cracks me up. I just think I it's I always funny. wonder if this was somebody's chance to get back at Sam. Because again, supposedly, during all the Evil Dead movies, Sam loves to torture Bruce. That scene where he's going through the woods in right. part two, he was beating the shit out of him with branches. Various times, he just puts Bruce through the ringer. So in this movie, I noticed... They have this scene where when they're fighting the big, rough, red herring gang guy, he chucks Sam Raimi into this display of all these cans, and he just goes slamming through all of them. He's the only one he does that to. 
And then later, yeah, he gets to hook through the chin, and then, yeah, he's getting bounced against the freezer door to, yeah. It just, it seems like somebody was putting him through the ringer a little bit. Ah, that's probably deserved. Yeah. (laughs) The Ted Raimi character who, he's Produce Joe, he works in the produce department. He gets a, uh, he's, he is always goofy. Yeah. I, I have never seen him in anything where he wasn't goofy. But that's okay. I, I'm, oh, by the way, he yeah, he shows up in Wishmaster, too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the K and B thing, there's a connection there. Shows up to get killed, because that's all he ever does. <laughs> Except in Blood Rage. He doesn't get killed in Blood Rage. Oh, that's because he's just a cameo selling condoms. I was going to say, in The Grudge, the American version, he plays a part there where he's not necessarily all that goofy. He's just like the... The guy in charge of the hospice home care thing. Oh, God, I didn't even remember that. Yep. Well, and I guess in Midnight Meat Train, he's not necessarily well, yeah. goofy, but he does just show up to get killed. Yeah, that's kind of what he does. Yeah, but he is uh, hes listening to his Walkman, chopping up vegetables. I, I don't know. And he's doing this thing with his knife, which is so bizarre to me because he's clearly chopping something, but you don't see what he's chopping. It doesn't show you that. It just shows you his arm raising up with the knife and then, you know, coming down to chop. Huge knife. But the way he's doing it, who would ever do that? Because he raises it way back past his head and then just, yeah, hot. I mean, nobody does that. No, but they're just, they're selling the knife. Unless you're in Friday Five yeah. and you're chopping vegetables. But yeah, and at Friday. one point he, uh, he pulls it back and... Then Bill just grabs the knife out of his hand and chops him in the head with it. And I like it because he's always wearing those headphones. And he still has them on, but when he brings the knife down, he brings down on the very top of his head. It splits the headphones and they slowly fall off his head. <laughs> well, and then later when he's dragging his body, you can, his walk hear man the music. Is, you can yeah. still hear the music. I like that. There's uh, one of my favorite kills, and I think probably everybody's favorite kill in this movie is going to be... Oh, I can't remember his name. But the one who gets killed with the meat slicer. Yeah, there's one who gets... It's like almost like a jigsaw, but it's for meat. And he gets that right across the face, like right above his teeth. And it's nasty. Oh, you see chunks of meat and blood like caught up in the blades, and it just cuts his face right in half, or his whole head right in half. I think that looks really good. Another one I like is, I mentioned that box smasher. It's basically a big hydraulic press, and somebody gets their head stuck in there. Not fully, and then they turn it on, and it smooshes his head like... Almost right at the nose, or again, like at the teeth line. So, yeah. like, smashes half his head in. The other, the owner, uh, the one who was selling the store, I always liked his too, just because it involves a lot of really cool camera angles. Mm-hmm. And they kind of foreshadow it earlier in the film when you see a shot of him at his desk talking to Bill, and they have, like, one of those paper spikes that I you I have hurt myself on those numerous yeah, I, times. It's a sharp spikes. I don't you know? even understand who why they still have those. That is so dangerous. But when I worked at the restaurant, we would have to spike our tickets on those. And I have stabbed myself in the hand numerous times when I was in a hurry. But anyway, it's got one of those on his desk, and it's a long one. Like it's really tall. I've never seen one that big. But uh, he kind of takes his face and shoves his head down on it and puts it through his eye. But it doesn't kill him. He shows up later. Yeah, he shows up as body later. Then he shows up as real, like, help me. And then there's a little joke 
where he's going, help me, again. But it's not really him. Yeah. It's the killer guy with his head going, help me. So, yeah, and then he does the recreate, and he tells that story again. Yeah. The night, he's like, walking down night, and he's actually swinging the head with a sandwich in the other hand mm-hmm. when he tells it this time. Oh, it's so funny. It's great. It's not going to be one of your, oh, that slasher is so great and all that stuff. It's not going to, you know, win any awards or definitely not for writing or anything like that. But it's a whole lot of fun. It is. It's creative and inventive and uh, it shows what you can accomplish if you really want to on a small budget. Plus, it's also funny. There's a lot of jokes in here. Intentional and otherwise. This movie, I've always liked it. I'm glad it's been rediscovered now. Because, yeah, for a long time, nobody knew what the hell this movie was. But recently, especially now that it's out on Blu-ray and all that, a lot of people have, you know, become aware of it. And that's a good thing. Okay, there are two budgets listed for this. So I don't know which one is accurate. But one is 100000 and the other one is 130000 There's not that much of a difference, no. I guess. So... We'll just say under $150,000 they made this movie. And that's impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive. Even in $1980, that's not much for a fucking movie. With these kind of effects, no less. Yeah. Yeah, and they got people like, well, I'm sure she wasn't all that expensive, but they got Renee Estevez, who is the sister of uh, Emilio and Charlie. And then the two guys from Green Acres, they weren't doing anything else, so mm-hmm. I can't imagine that was a lot of money. You know, they didn't get Bruce Willis or anything, but they did a lot for a very small amount of money, and it looks good. And it's just, my favorite thing about it is the camera work, mm-hmm. because it's so creative. If you've never seen this, and you like the camera work that Sam Raimi does and things like Evil Dead, then I would definitely recommend checking this out, because it's... You can see that they're connected. Yes. It just, you can feel the connection there. Plus, if you're just a Sam Raimi fan or a Ted Raimi fan, you know, then they're in the movie. So check it out. But it's a super fun slasher and it's a late slasher. Yeah, you know? 89, I think. Yeah. So it was, it came in on the tail end of things, but still managed to do something that was fun and fresh, I think. Mm-hmm. Even though the story isn't all that exciting. But like we said, it doesn't matter. It, this is about this is about the characters and the kills, and you know we're talking about slasher. That's all I really need. Yeah. You know, as Friday fans, we know the story doesn't have to make one hundred percent sense. <laughs> <laughs> I know that we kind of spoiled the movie while we were talking about it, and that's because it's as old as it is. But if by chance you haven't seen it, don't let that deter you. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. <laughs> no, it's going to be a fun time regardless. Regardless. I've seen this movie about five times now, and uh, I like it every single time I watch it. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even matter. Well, I guess that's it for Intruder. hmm And uh, next up, we're going to be talking about your movie. Scream is- 4. Yeah, I like how this movie was shot in California, but set in Michigan. Scream 4 is shot in Michigan, but set in California. And they're both slashers, so there's a lot of connections there. Yeah. Yeah, so like we said, my movie is Scream 4. And I mainly wanted to cover it because I haven't seen it in a while. I think the last time I seen it is when it came out or thereabouts. And I liked it when it came out, but I wasn't in love with it. But then again, for me personally, I can say that about most of the Scream films. I do like them, 
but I've never been, oh my god, and I've never been a Scream fanatic. In fact, I used to actively dislike the first Scream, but I have warmed up to it quite a bit over the years. And so I wanted to see this one again, just to refresh my memory, but also see where I would place it on my ranking of the Scream films. Right. This one for me has almost become, like, forgotten. Like, I know the movie, and I know the characters and what they have, but I really didn't have a feel for it. Well, there are several things that I forgot about this movie, and I haven't seen it since I did the uh, retrospective on Skeleton Crew, which was, like, 2013 or something. So it's been almost 10 years since I've seen this movie. And there were a lot of things I forgot about it, one of them being how actually bloody it is. It's a lot bloodier than I thought it was. Well, yeah, that was one of the things I didn't like about the first Scream, or actually the first couple Scream. I wanted some blood in my slasher movies, and really, there's not any there. There's plenty of stomach sapping, and there's plenty of blood on a knife that he's constantly wiping off on his glove, which drives me fucking nuts. Other than that, there's not much gore. Yeah, I mean, even at the end where he's repeatedly stabbing Stu, you, it's, just, it's blood. just blood on his shirt. Yeah, you know? I don't consider that... And I guess it could be, oh, it's so bloody, because, yeah, there's lots of red stuff flying around, but that's all it is. It's colored water. It's, you know, caro syrup and food coloring. It doesn't impress me. There was that first kill from the first movie with Drew Barrymore, and that could have been something, and you get to see a little tiny glimpse of it when she's hanging from the tree, and if you look really close and don't blink, you can see her guts uh, at her feet and all that, but come on, that is such a blink and you miss it thing, it doesn't really count. Well, this, even this movie, I guess, is really just blood. It is, but there is some gore here, more than the previous films. And I like that. This is also the last time Wes would get behind camera for this series, or I think any series. Yeah. Any movie. So, I wanted to see him, you know, his final film again. This is also written by the guy who did the original and all that, so they definitely got the band back together to make this movie. Of course, you can't have a screen movie without Sydney and Dewey and Gale. So yeah, it was very much a return to form. Plus, like they often do, they were playing with a theme. The first movie gives you, you know, their meta commentary on slashers. The second one was all about sequels. The third one is all about trilogies. And this one is all about remakes. Which at the time, you know, the 2000s and such, that was a thing that was just over and over and over again. And I do like the scene where you have Kirby. She gets called by the killer and she's all freaking out. And he begins to question, what horror remake... And then she just goes off naming all of them. Like, <laughs> like 20 of them. Yes. <laughs> and good on her. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, she did a good job. But I mean, just that's how much we were just getting inundated with remakes. I don't know if we had original films at all. Yes, that was hyperbole. I know we were getting some original films. But the vast majority, at least it seemed like at the time, or just remake after remake after remake. Oh, if you if you go back to message boards at the time, that's all anybody was talking about. Yeah. You know, and horror fans on the whole, like, I actually like remakes sometimes. I definitely don't care when someone remakes no. a movie. It doesn't mean anything. It not, it's not like they burn the original movie when they make a new one. 
I don't no, give that a shit. Whole, you know, you ruined my childhood. No, they didn't. You can totally ignore it. Like, I am not a big fan of Indiana Jones Part 4. That movie doesn't exist in my world. I can watch the first three Indiana Jones, and that's it, and be perfectly happy. So, yeah, no one is forcing you to watch these movies if you don't like them. I do get a bit pissed off when it's this cynical cash-grab remake. You can tell nobody gave a fuck about this movie, or often the case... Like the Prom Night remake, it has nothing to do with the original, other than taking place at prom. Well, do you know what I just watched recently, as in this morning? What's that? The Stepfather. Oh, The remake with Dylan Walsh and Steela Ward. I hadn't seen it since it came out, and I was like, well, you know, you know me. Even if I know a movie's not great, every few years I'll still want to watch it. You know, just like, occasionally I still want to watch... You know, Rob Zombie's Halloween movies or whatever. Yeah, I I can't help it. But um, I was like, well, let me give it another shot. It's on Netflix. So, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, I gave it a three. It's it's not a bad movie. It comes off like, I'd say, something like a a Lifetime movie. Mm. You know, there's not a lot. There are some kills, you know, and but there's nothing really. You know, one guy gets suffocated, another woman gets drowned, uh, like, in a pool. So it's not bloody or anything. Yeah. And it's not nearly as good as the Terry O'Quinn version, because I don't see how you could yeah, be. Yeah, what know? could be. And what tips you off to that is in the very beginning of the movie, when he's walking out of the house, it's the same idea. He's, you know, disguising himself, and then you see him leave the house, and the dead family's behind. In the original version... That scene is bloody as fuck. Mm-hmm. There is just blood all over the place. I mean, he slaughtered that family. Because that's the point. That's the You see this guy doing his mundane... I mean, he's doing some weird stuff like he puts in contacts, like colored contacts, I think. And then like he shaves off his beard or something like that. So he's doing something drastic to his appearance, but for all intents and purposes, it could just be him getting ready for work. He ain't doing anything sinister. You don't see any blood. It's not like he's going, ha. He's just getting ready, you know, getting clean, putting on his clothes, and walking out the front door. But between the bathroom and the front door, there's this slaughterhouse. And a whole family laid out, including little kids that they show prominently. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's supposed to be an oh-my-God gut punch. Yeah, and in the remake, it... It looks like he poisoned him. Yeah, like there's no, there's no blood at all. There's nothing. So they're just lying. They're dead. Which is so, still the same kind of thing, but you need to have that visceral component. Yeah, and that's what it's missing. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So it's not a bad movie. And if the original one didn't exist, there'd be no problem with it at all. It just doesn't have that same punch that the original had because it's not as vicious. Yeah. Also, I had totally forgotten Amber Heard is in that movie. The remake? Yeah. Very prominently, she plays the son's girlfriend. Huh. I totally forgot she was in it. But, I mean, it's not terrible. It's it's a it's a fine movie. Did she poop on anyone's bed? No, not in the movie. Okay. That's no, I was paying attention, but yeah. <laughs> Sizer! <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was, a, we're, you know, talking about remakes. But what I noticed about this film when we watched it, because like I said, it's been about ten years, give or take, since I've seen it. I had completely forgotten there had been a 12-year gap between the last movie and this movie, and everybody was kind of coming back together, and Sydney had left town. I had forgotten how long it had been. Yeah. 
So if you look at that, and they're, you know, getting the band back together when they come back in town, and then you look at the reasoning for the killings, which is the Emma Roberts character, what's her name? Jill. Jill wants to be famous. She wants to be famous, you know. If you look at all of that, and then you look at Scream 5, or Scream 22, or Five Cream, whatever you want to call it. People have their own names for it. If you look at that movie, how is it different? It's not really. I mean, it is, but it's not. It. I mean, obviously it's a different movie, but there are so many similarities between the motivations and the fact that they had been away for a long time and then come back. It just, I'm like, we did this already. Yeah. And I think Scream 4 did it better. Yes. So I wanted to go back, get this a second watch, or maybe a third watch. I might have seen it twice before, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I wanted to give it a reappraisal. And I gotta say, I like this movie a lot. Yeah. I think it's now my second favorite Scream movie. Yeah, I will agree with that. Whereas before I thought it was good, but I wasn't really wowed by it. Now I think it goes Scream 1, then Scream 4, and then, you know, whatever. But I really like the characters in this. I like the kills. I like the setup to the kills. And just, you know, they do some little clever things. I love the part where... And, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, come on. It's a Scream movie. You know, somebody's gonna go after Sydney again. Which, I know uh, some Scream fans are like, she needs to be in Scream 6. No, she really doesn't. They need to get rid of her. There's bending your disbelief, and then there's chopping it up, throwing it on the ground, stomping on it, rolling over it with a steamroller. And the Scream movies are starting to approach that with the whole... Here we go again! I mean, how many times can poor Sydney be attacked by two dipshits in a fucking Halloween costume? And that's always the case. Well, except in part three. Yeah, that was the one exception. Yeah, and I actually like Sydney in this movie, and I don't like her <laughs> as a rule. Just She just annoys me. But I like her in this movie. I, you know, she was fine. Yeah. I didn't dislike Kirby the character, but I was always irritated, and I've always made it known very loudly that it always irritated me that she had like 17 movies yeah, on her shelf. Yeah. And she and was a she horror was, fan. And she was, you know, it was like, oh, you must be a true horror fan because you have Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. And Don't Look Now, which, yeah. you know, great. Two great movies. I love them both. Yes. But <laughs> I was I was just like, what? Well, I will say this. I will give them this. Chances are, if you do have Suspiria and Don't Look Now, you are a horror fan. Because yes. what normie's going to have those movies? No, you're right. But I just always thought it was odd. Like, give her... A big collection. Yeah. You know, if this is supposed to be who she is, if this is supposed to be her, like, this is the thing she knows more about than anything or whatever, give her more movies than that. It was a tiny little shelf. And yeah, she's in high school, but I had a bigger collection than that when yeah. I was in high school. But as for the story, it's pretty stock and trade. Sydney is now promoting a book she wrote, so she comes back to Woodsboro to promote it, and naturally, that's when everything kicks off. Uh, somebody, or more likely somebody's, is going around killing people dressed as Ghostface. Again, 
And of course, Sydney's getting called again. And so she gets drawn into it and blah, blah, blah. I mean, the story is no great shakes, but what it does, it does well, I think. I really like the direction in here. Wes Craven can be very hit or miss. And yeah, oh, he's a master of horror. And he is when he's good. But then he also gives you stuff like Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, I like the movie because it's fun and funny and stupid, but Deadly Friend, not a well-made film. Aw, stop picking on Deadly Friend. Well, because it's shitty. It's got one of the best head explosions ever. Yes, it does. But, I mean, that's almost in in spite of itself, not because of it. Bibi, Bibi, So, you know, I like watching Craven when he's firing on all cylinders, and I think he does that here. I kind of like the message. It doesn't beat you over the head with it, but it's there, you know, the whole remakes and don't fuck with the original and all that. I do like a joke when uh, Gail's like, there's going to be a party at the barn, and that's where the slaughter is going to be, because how meta is that? Oh, and yeah. Dewey's like, What's meta? And she's like, I don't know, but I heard somebody say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that was everybody when Scream came out and everybody, oh, it's so meta, it's so meta. What is meta? I don't know, but it's meta. There are a lot of fun things yes. I like about this. I think the humor in this one is dialed up more than the rest. Yeah. And I don't mind that. I no, like that. No, And when it works, it's great. Yeah. And I'm not saying it doesn't work in this, but what I'm saying... In a horror film, if you have humor and it works without detracting from what else is going on in the film, then that's a good balance to have, and I think it has that here. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like the be- the very beginning. I like it. I love it. I think it's great. And I remember when I saw it in the theater, I was just laughing my ass off every yeah. time. You know, you're in the scene, you're in the scene, and you've got like... Scream five, then, you know... Stab. Oh, stab, that's right. You got two girls watching uh, a scary movie, and of course, you know, Ghostface and all that. And then, boom, it was just the intro to Scream 5. Then you got two girls watching a movie, and then somebody gets killed, and boom, that was the intro to Scream 6. Stab. Stab. What the fuck ever? Not that it matters. Stab. So then they're watching Stab 8 or something like that. It's just, it's funny. They keep repeating the same joke over and over and just putting different variations on it. Yeah, I also like the cast that they have in that front. You know, it's just, it's it's fun. And I always got a kick out of it. When I saw it in the theater, I was laughing. Uh, Here, I had forgotten how many times they did that. I think there's like three fake cold opens before they get to the actual movie. Two or three. No, three, I think. Because it it just keeps going and Mm -hmm. keeps going. And I'm like, that is... Comedy comes in threes. Yeah. The so. rule of three. I, and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I, I think that's great. I don't have a problem with that at all. I also like the fact that you can tell subtle things about those. Like in one of the stab movie openings, the fake ones, the phone she has is like a sidekick, mm-hmm. which was not a smartphone. That was before we had smartphones. And then in the actual movie, they're using smartphones. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was... A little bit before, mm-hmm. you know, but they don't point it out. They don't tell you a year, but they just, you know, do subtle little things like that to show the difference. And I thought that was really cool. You know, I appreciate stuff like that. I like how when they're having a big barn showing of the movie and a big screen, not screen, goddamn it, Stabathon, they show the beginning of Stab One and it says directed by Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. I like that. 
So yeah, there's a lot of, you know, little cool winks and nudges in here. Uh, the kills, I think, are some of the best. I mean, when that one girl gets killed in her bedroom across the way from Kirby. I love that. That is vicious, and that is fucked up. And by and large, it's just blood, but it's very violent. And there's also a blink and you miss it scene of a gut pile there as well. Yeah. When you go into her bedroom and she's lying on the bed, her intestines are all hanging out. Yeah, no, he went for it with yeah. that. And when when they walk in the room and there's blood all over that room, it looks like when uh, What's Your Face six. got killed in part six. Yep. <laughs> That's what it always reminds me of. It's like, did he just swing her around by the feet and just <laughs> shower blood everywhere? But uh, the best part of that kill to me, other than how vicious it is, is how they do the misdirect mm-hmm. when he's on the phone with Kirby and he's like, I'm in the closet. And she's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And, and then she goes to open the, the closet and she's like, you're a liar. You're not in the closet. I never said your closet. Yeah. And then you, <laughs> and then you hear the screaming and you look across the street and she is getting just mutilated. And that was great. There's a line from Ghostface from the, you know, the automated voice changing sound guy. God damn it. I'm blinking on now, but it's such, it's so quick. It is so... Oh, what is it? The victim is freaking out, and, you know, he just says something like, yeah, well, I could do that. <laughs> he does that numerous times where I didn't think he, that was really a thing. Oh, I love it when she's talking to him, and he's she's like, Trevor, this isn't funny, or whatever. And he's like, do I sound like, like a, a Trevor <laughs> to you? <laughs> I do think this is the second best screen. I do like Scream 2 a lot. I don't like Scream 3 at all. And Scream 5, it was okay. I think this is a much better, tighter return of the Scream cast. Because like you said, this was 12 years after the last one. And it was always supposed to be a trilogy, you know. But money. So here we go. And despite that, they really put some effort into it. It wasn't just a quick you know, cheapo cash grab. They had some good setups. They had some good characters. They had some good blood and kills. I like the little thing like when the mom is bracing the door from Ghostface, her and Sydney are trying to keep him out and she gets down on the floor and they're like, yay, we did it. And then you hear a shing. And Ghostface had stabbed her through the letter opener. I like that. It was just a little thing, but, you know, that's clever, because nobody would think of, just like what happened to the mom, you wouldn't think about the letter opener. You would just put up, you know, back up against the door and hold it. Probably in this whole movie, the character I'm a fan of the least is Dory Culkin. I think he's okay, but I don't know. He's There's something about him I just don't dig. Well, he's a killer. Well, not even, you know, before you know he's a killer, I just... He doesn't do anything for me. Where everybody else in this movie, I think, is very well cast and he played the parts very well. Oh, that reminds me of another funny thing. The the guy who's his like best friend or whatever, they run the A V club together. Uh-huh. And when he's the getting one who's killed, always webcamming or something. Yeah. Or streaming. And when he's getting killed, he's like Wait, wait, I'm gay. And then Ghostface just looks at him and he goes, if it helps. (laughs) Because they had mentioned earlier that pretty much the only way to to guarantee survival in a horror film these days, or those days, was to be be gay. gay. I just thought that was, if it helps. (laughs) There's some, there's some clever stuff in here. I, it does show how 
dated the technology is. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... That sticks out to me. The thing about technology is it is increasing so fast anymore. I remember reading something, some scientist did a study and blah, blah, blah. The whole point of that was technology seems to be doubling at a more increased and faster rate. I mean, there's a reason why the Bronze Age lasted for so long. And then, you know, the copper and iron and all this stuff. And even back in, you know, the 1910s, you could have a car, but that wasn't a major thing as opposed to everything else. But nowadays, technology is just so fast. Like, the computer systems keep doubling every... It used to be every five years. Then it was every four, three, two. Now it's like every year the computer processing power doubles. Well, I remember when a gig was impressive. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. And now we have, you know, 128 of those on your phone. My first computer I ever owned had 450 megabytes <laughs> for the hard drive. You can't find a flash drive with that little space anymore. But that was, when I got that computer, it was like, yeah, 450. And I was rocking, you know, a 12K modem. <laughs> I had the hookup, baby. <laughs> and nowadays, it's just flying. I mean, it's the old joke, but it's true. The phone you have in your pocket is vastly more powerful than what they used to put men on the moon back in the 60s. Well, yeah, back when computers took up entire rooms. Yeah, but just think of that. Your phone is more powerful than everything they had to stick men on the moon. That is nuts. But it's true. And so, yeah, especially around this time, you can really start... Because, you know, look at the 70s and 80s. There ain't that much of a big technological leap there. No. If somebody answered their phone, they answered their phone. It was probably a rotary forum. Ooh, maybe push button. And, you know, it was on a cord, and it was mounted to the wall of your house and all that. It's so different now. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd say the biggest things from, well, the 70s going into the 80s, we got, you know, home computers were more accessible, microwaves, VCRs. You had answering machines that, you know, were actually in the 70s, but later 70s. And then, so, I mean, there were improvements, but it wasn't the kind of thing that would change your whole life or make that big of a difference. But now... But it also wasn't as noticeable as... Like you said, look at her cell phone compared to modern cell phones. Nobody was looking at a phone in the 80s going, oh, that is so old and quaint. It was just a phone. But anymore, technology is just so fast. It's so rapid. Yeah, and so it does stick out when he's talking about, you know, when everyone is like, bringing up the fact that she's like, what are you, what are you like live? What are you, are you posting it to the internet? And he's like, oh, I'm streaming. Everybody's going to be doing this, you know, which is kind of prophetic yeah. and kind of <laughs> funny, but it also dates the film because, yeah. you know, now no one would be surprised that someone was live streaming. But does that ever put you off? Not really. No, no. I just, because I know when the movie was made. I like that stuff. I like yeah, these it's little, like a little glimpses into the past. Like and, a little time capsule. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't hurt the film for me. I just always think it's interesting to notice things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is yet another screen film. You know what they're all about. But I think it was just done very well. And I think it was done the best up until the first screen. Fans are going to fan and they always want more. 
But personally, me, I would have been happy if the Scream franchise ended here. Because this is a much better ending and a much better movie than what we got for Part 3. Well, because originally it was a trilogy. Oh, you mean... Okay, I see what you mean. So, and the way it sounded was like this came before Part 3. No. So, I was like, okay. So, you're saying like they went from 3 and then to this and then just stopped. Yeah, if they would have done that, I would have been happy. Because it, it kind of cleaned up the mess that uh -huh. 3 made as yes. far as like 3 ending on a bad note. And yeah, I get that. Uh, I actually like Scream 22. Scream 5, whatever. I thought it I was like okay. It. Uh, I gave it a 4, and I thought at the time, I was like, that might be my second favorite Scream movie. Because I like, and it, I, well, I think I kind of tied it with Scream 2. And Scream 3 has always been my least favorite. Easily. I just don't like it. Uh, even though it has some funny moments. and Yeah, it's you know, not complete garbage. It is just the weakest of all of them, I think. Well, and it's way too long. It well, has no business being that fucking long. But hell, that was prophetic. Christ, these movies these days. Yeah, no, that's true. I'm sorry, Terrifier 2, good movie, has no fucking business being two and a half hours long. Yeah, well... Two hours, 20 minutes. We were whatever. just listening to the top 10 of the year for 22 shots, and they were talking about how every single movie... Yeah. I think Dave Parker said every single movie on his list this year was two plus hours long. That's just nuts. You don't need that. Yeah. Uh, three has always been my least favorite. And then four was right above three because I just got irritated by it. <laughs> you know me, sometimes I'll get like a pebble in my shoe and it'll just bug the shit out of me. Yeah. And even though it's a tiny little thing, it'll just piss me off. Well, everyone's like that. Every, I mean, sometimes something just strikes you a certain way and you're like, you know what? Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. But, got, but watching it this time... Uh, yeah, it has completely shaken up my ranking. Well, yeah. Uh, it is I, now easily my second favorite film. It is so fun. I purposely went into this with a clean slate. I often do that when I try to give movies a second chance. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to forget everything I know, everything I thought I knew, and, you know, I'm going to really sit down and try to watch this as if it was the first time. And I really did enjoy it a lot. I thought it was really fun. It was fast-paced. It was funny. It was, you know, I think the way that they brought the characters back in this was really good. I like the fact that Gale and Dewey were together in this movie. Yeah. I hate in Scream 5 when they're, yeah, they're, broken that they're, up. That they're not together but anymore. But also, I mean, in Scream 5, why the fuck is Sydney and Gale even in that movie? They don't do shit. Just because they needed to be. I know. But That's the only reason. Like, so there's nothing for them to do. Again, with Scream 6 and, oh, it's not going to have Sydney. Who the fuck cares? She was hardly in the last movie. <laughs> but that's a shame, though, because I'm just getting to the point where I like her character. <laughs> but yeah, I had a way better time watching it this time than I did the two previous times that I watched it. Yeah. Or three, I don't know. At, at least two. Yeah, I, and I don't know why I was so hard on it before, because it's yeah. it was really, really fun. I was never hard on it. I just thought, yep, it's another Scream movie. Sure, it's better than part three, probably not as good as part two, and, you know, definitely not as good as the original, but, you know, it was just more of the same. And it really is. It is just, it's like the Friday 13th movies, part three, part four, that's just more of the same, but it's done so well, and that's how I think this one is. It is more of the same, but they did it very well. There was a lot of effort in this. I would totally agree with that, and I, I feel like it... Like, there was a lot of action. But it feels, at the same time, it feels very familiar. Uh, in that all the Scream films, you know, especially when we had Wes 
you know, if it was directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson, and then, you know, the music is the... And I did notice that it's not the same music. It's not um, like beat for beat. There's a whole new score for this film. And it has the same little similarities that you know from the Scream films, but there are places when they do different things with it, and I really like it. I thought the score for this was really good. I enjoyed the cast for this quite a bit. And, you know, obviously outside the usual characters, you get Emma Roberts, big Emma Roberts fan. Yeah, she's great in this. I love her in everything, and I thought she was really good in this. And I like the... Oh, and Hayden Panettiere, I've always liked her. You know who I really like this time? That I didn't... It's not like I hated them before. I just didn't think of them. Deputy Judy. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. She was just, she was cute. She was, uh... She was funny, though. Yeah, she, funny. She kept... I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, she's good looking and all that, but just her attitude and how she acts, she was very cute. She was very, like, you know, here's some lemon squares. <laughs> yeah. Well, she cracked me up whenever, like, Gail would walk over and she's just like, this is police business, yeah. Gail. And Gail's like, I'm talking to my husband. Thank you very much. But it was, uh... Your lemon squares taste like ass. <laughs> Dude, because I know they don't. They're very good. <laughs> No, it was, those little moments were so funny. One thing I didn't understand, and maybe, yes, it's 12 years later, so whatever, but... How does she have a teenage son now? No, I mean, that, (laughs) yeah, sure. Uh, But but one thing I didn't understand is, what happened to Dewey's limp? He was all, you know, messed up in the second and the third one, I believe, because the guy got stabbed like nine ways from Sunday. I mean, he's always going to the damn hospital. But here, he was totally fine. He was running around and doing his thing. Running around with his friends. <laughs> well, and you pointed that out in the movie, too, when he came running out of the house mm-hmm. and ran down to the car. You're like, well, he's moving just fine for somebody who got stabbed 900 times. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wish they would have kept that. It's not a big thing, and after 12 years, you can say, well, he got more surgery and all that. Although, usually people with that kind of problem don't get it fixed, because that's a hard, I mean, that's all nerve damage. And you really can't repair nerves. But whatever. It's a small thing. But for the diehard Scream fans, I wonder if that aggravates them or something. No, you know diehard Scream fans don't get aggravated by anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> they could poop on their face and they wouldn't care. It's still a Scream movie. Yeah. I'm just kidding, Scream fans. We love you. They're not as crazy as Halloween fans. Yet. No, they take the game. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Halloween fans. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're not Scream fans. (laughs) So yeah, this was a good revisit, I think. I've appreciated the movie more now than I ever have before. It has definitely gone up in my rankings. And, you know, the whole reason we picked it is the Michigan connection. Yeah, it was filmed here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is the home of the U of M. Yeah. And uh, it did a good job standing in for... Woodsboro, I think. Honestly, it looked exactly yeah. the same to me. At the, in the very opening of the film, there is a shot of the downtown area. Mm-hmm. And in the first movie, it's it would be where they had, like, the picnic and stuff. When that, You know the scene where they're, like, curfew and all that, and you see the mom, like, wrapping up her kids from mm-hmm. a picnic, and everybody's clearing the streets? That's what it reminded me of. Like, it looked the same. And... It's so funny because every time we're in, like, downtown Woodsboro, I was just thinking to myself, what a cute little town. It's so adorable. 
And I even thought to myself, because I had totally forgotten why we were watching this movie. I mean, I knew it was for the show, but I forgot why you picked it. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, what a cute little town. Too bad it's in California. <laughs> no, it's fucking Ann Arbor. It's right there. <laughs> so, uh, well, not right there. It's like 45 minutes away, but... I'll do you one better. There's a scene in Scream 4 where they're showing the town and, you know, they have like a little park with a fountain mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I thought, I was like, oh, wow, I wonder if that's the same place where... Remember the first movie? They have that scene where all the kids are sitting there oh, talking about yeah. the, you know, Casey Becker getting killed. Yeah. And they're all like, you know. It's the famous shot. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. All, aren't they sitting in front of a fountain? Yeah. I was like, I wonder if that's the same fountain. And then I had to remind myself, no, it's not. <laughs> well, I think that fountain was actually on the high school grounds anyway. Well, I think I they mean, were eating their lunch there. I think that's what you're meant to believe, but there's... Oh, but they could have used yes. it. Yeah, there's nothing saying you can't use the same exactly. thing. Yeah, no, that's true. But uh, I had to catch myself going, no, that, that can't be the same fountain. Yeah, but I gotta say, Ann Arbor is adorable. I mean, I've been to Ann Arbor, yeah. but it's, a, it's, it's adorable. It's a groovy town. Well, it's a college town. College yeah. towns are pretty cool. It's kind of like the Athens of Michigan for me. Yeah. You know, so that's two Michigan movies. I also like the killers in this better than part five or screen five, whatever. So I really didn't like them. I like their motivation better. I don't know. I just, I think it is a better movie. It was a good movie for Wes Craven to go out on. I mean, I wish he didn't go out on it. I wish he was still alive making movies now. But again, if this would have been the final screen movie, if they said, you know, we just can't make them without Wes Craven anymore. I think this would have been a good way to just wrap everything up. No, it would have been fine. And I, I do... Mean, it would be very much like the the new and final season of Dexter. Basically, that whole thing was, look, we're sorry about how Dexter ended. So here's another season. This is how we should have ended it in the first place. It gives you a good and final ending to our main character. It was a worthy ending to the series. That whole thing where he just disappears and becomes a lumberjack, that was horseshit. But that's pretty much the way here. The third screen movie was just bad. I mean, just, it's a bad film before anything else, but it's a bad screen film specifically. I think this would have been a much better way to bring everything to a close, and if they never would have made another one, it would have been fine. Yeah. Another thing I do kind of like is that, you know, Randy in the first two movies and then his cameo bit in the third movie, he is the horror movie expert, but he is one of the heroes. I like the fact that they took that character, and they even mention that in the movie. Rory Culkin mentions Randy. Mm -hmm. But I like the fact that they took that character, the movie buff character, the movie nerd, and this time made him the killer. That was a good way. I think that was a good way to get people to not necessarily focus on him as the killer. Yeah. You know, because you're you are in your brain, you're comparing him to Randy. But this movie as a whole just comes full circle. Yeah. I mean, at the end, they got Sydney, and then they break out the guy from the closet that they're going to pin it on. Right. And then the two killers are going to, you know, supposedly stab each other to make it look like they're survivors. I mean, it's literally Scream 1 done again. Well, when they pull him out of the closet, Rory even says... This reminds you of anything? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's exactly the same thing. 
And just like in the first movie, one of the killers stabs the other one in the back. Well, I guess technically in the front. Yeah. But he stabs him in the back. And I like that. And I like that Sydney mentions that. You know, she's like, oh, you want to. I forget the exact line, but it's like, oh, just like. Just like in the original, or you wanted it to be. Whatever she said, she, she. I can't remember what she says, but she draws attention to the fact that exactly this. Oh, because he had said earlier, just like Billy and Stu. And then as he's getting stabbed by Jill. Sydney is like, just like Billy and Stu, just mm-hmm. like you said, you know, and that's funny. So it's the same, but not really the same, but they know it's the same. I mean, it's a remake. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly that, you know, and I think that, you know, they always have, like you said in the beginning, they always have their something that they're focusing on, whether it's just horror films in general or sequels, trilogies, remakes, and in the most recent one, Requels. the... Yeah, the legacy, legacy sequel. Yeah. So they always have their thing that they're focused on. I kind of feel like, even though I I didn't dislike the new one, I Neither like I said, I. I gave it a four. I thought it was fine. I feel like this one did that better. Yes. As far as the whole straight-up remake thing versus the legacy sequel thing. You know, I think this was better. And with that, I guess we will wrap up the discussion of Scream 4. Yeah. Uh, any final notes you want to make on the movie you brought? It's a screen movie. You know what that entails, but it's just done very well. Yeah, I don't hate what came after it. Um, I thought it was okay, but I do think this would be the perfect place just to end everything. I think it's a very strong sequel. In fact, it is my favorite of the sequels. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Screen 4 in a while, give it another watch. Give it a reappraisal. See if you like it anymore. Because, again, when I first saw it, I thought it was okay. It was, you know, a little screen movie. Sure, why not? But this time around, I was like, wow, it's much better than I initially gave it credit for. Yeah. I wonder how many people are going to be surprised that you brought a screen movie to the table, period. (laughs) I'm growing in my old age. (laughs) Mellowing out, I guess. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the movie section of this show. And we will be right back. Bumps in a night. Okay, welcome back. And the first Bumps in the Night segment of the season, I had an idea that I got while we were watching some YouTube videos about something. I don't remember, but we're always watching YouTube about something. And I started thinking about scenes in horror films that blew you away. Now... I guess you can define that however you like, whether it was like a big surprise. When I came up with it, it was more just like a wow moment. Yeah. You know, whether it was something that shocked you, came out of nowhere, or... I would say just leave it at that. Everybody knows what being blown away is. So, and everybody should have a number of scenes that they have seen in movies over the years that just really floored them. I think just keep it as general as that. Okay. You want to start? Sure. And I will go with my most memorable, I guess. Well, it's a good scene, it's a great movie, but just the how I came about it. My top three movies are... What are they? The Thing? Yes. 
Dawn of the Dead. Yes. And The Exorcist? Yes. And Yay. we're going to The Exorcist for this one. I've told the story before. I've told you the story. But uh, it's the let Jesus fuck you scene. Oh, God, yeah. When I originally watched that movie for the very first time, I was a kid. I was a teen. I had rented it from the video store. My mom was working nights. And, you know, my dad wasn't into picture. My brother's much older than me, so he was already moved out. So I was very much all alone in the house. Except at that time, we weren't even living in a house. We were living in a trailer, which is a little tiny metal box on wheels. And the way that trailer was situated was whenever we had any sort of wind outside, a storm or whatever, it would just come howling through that park and it would slam into our trailer. And eventually you just get used to it. You know, it just becomes... Kind of like the howling of the wind around our house now. Oh, it was much worse than that, but kind of, yeah. However, there I am as a teen, and I rented a bunch of horror movies, and I put The Exorcist in, and I got on a couch, I got a blanket, I got a big bowl of popcorn, and I've heard, you know, stories of The Exorcist. I kind of knew it was about demonic possession and all that, and just, it was so scary. It's the scariest movie ever. Oh my god, it's scary. So I was hyped to see it. I was all pumped up, and I was all alone. So I put it in, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm watching it. And for the first part of that movie, it's not all that scary because it's setting stuff up. And even once it starts getting creepy and eerie because the puzzle pieces start coming together and you start realizing, oh, God, what's going on and all that stuff, that let Jesus fuck you scene, it is such a punch in the gut. It comes out of left field. It is so beyond the pale of anything I'd seen up until that point. And I would still say it stands a test of time with any other scene from any other movie up till today. It is just so fucking good and brutal and what the fuck. Yeah, it's, imagine being a little girl watching that well, scene. Well, yeah. God damn. <laughs> that is... The potential vaginal trauma that she suffered as a result of that scene, <laughs> not the actress, but the... Yeah, the character, yeah. It still haunts me to this day, every time I watch that movie. Well, and another, you know another bugaboo of mine is anything that has to do with religious iconography. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I mean, I kind of think I know why. I was raised Christian and all that. I don't identify with that anymore. I'm pretty much agnostic. But that stuff still affects me. Like in the Exorcist movies, because they're dealing with Catholicism and Satan and all that, they do that a lot. <laughs> like Exorcist 3, when uh, they show that empty church and then the wind blows in, yeah. and then they have the big statue of Jesus on the cross and he opens his eyes. Yeah. That freaked me the fuck out when I first saw that. So I think that's part of my lapsed faith, just coming back to fuck with me. So you have Christian iconography, you have blood... You have the taboo sex thing where at the time I saw this, I think I was like 11, that was still kind of new to me. I was still coming into my own sexuality. So it had like all the elements there to freak me the fuck out. But then you add the fact in that I was all alone and I was in my little trailer in the middle of a windstorm. And as soon as she started, you know, let Jesus fuck you. A gust of wind slammed into the side of the trailer. The side of the trailer I was sitting next to on the couch. And I just freaked the fuck out. 
I literally screamed like a little girl. My blanket went flying, my bowl of popcorn went flying, and I ran to my room. <laughs> I don't know why, because I was all alone in the house, everything was dark. But somehow being in my room meaned, uh, you know, I was safe or something. Well, it's just like getting under the covers in your bed, you know. But, uh, so yeah, that scene, wow. So that was like the perfect storm for me. All the elements came together perfectly, and it just, it floored me. Like nothing ever since, and nothing before that. And there's been other good scenes, and I might mention some here, but just that one, holy cow. I've always remembered it. I remember it vividly, and uh, I loved it. Cause I came out of my, I came out of my bedroom. I'm like, open up the door, and I'm looking around, <laughs> and I come slowly walking out. And you feel like an idiot. At least I did. I'm like, yeah, it's just a fucking movie, but it still, it got me. It got me hard. I love to hear it. Pop quiz, hot shot. What are my top three movies? Jaws, Dawn of the Dead. Exorcist? Yeah. Hey! <laughs> All right. Okay, here's one for me. I knew there was a reason I loved you. <laughs> and it is From Dust Till Dawn. And that is the scene where Salma Hayek turns into a vampire out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Because I knew nothing about that movie going in. I that had never. That would awesome. Uh, I was in my 20s at the time. I was poor. I didn't have cable. And in Athens, if you didn't have cable, you didn't have TV because you couldn't get antenna reception mm. where I was living. So <laughs> you just were shit out of luck. So I had no idea. I could not afford to buy Fangoria's at that point in my life. So I had to stop buying those. I didn't know shit about anything that was going on. But I had a friend who worked at a movie theater and she is actually responsible for me seeing both that year from Dust Till Dawn and Scream. Oh, nice. Because I didn't know about them, and she told me about them. And, you know, anytime, anytime she saw something that she thought I might be interested in, she would let me know. And so she's like, you got to come see this movie. And at the time, I knew who, who George Clooney was. Quentin Tarantino didn't really mean anything to me. Yeah. I mean, Pulp Fiction was out. Reservoir Dogs was out. But he wasn't at that point yet where his name was... Was any big deal? Yeah. Like, you know, it it just wasn't huge. So I was like, all right, whatever. You know, so I went to go see it, and it starts out as this like crime road movie. This you know, it's a heist movie. It's a. I mean, we've seen these movies before. Also, if you were familiar with Quentin Tarantino, it seems like one of his movies. It was exactly, it's, and it's, even though it was made by Rodriguez, it yeah, was written by Tarantino, and it seems like it's a, it's like a, a crime drama with yeah. you know comedy and blood and violence. And yeah, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. It was extremely violent. It was you know, but it was about criminals, and they kidnap this family and they're taking them across the border. I was in it. I was in this movie. It was a fantastic movie. I was like, let's go. You know, it was good. Then, and whoops, then we're in, this, we're in this bar, and all of a sudden, Salma Hayek starts turning, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I, I'm looking around the theater, and I'm like, did, did ever, did, are other people expecting this? Did what the, the hell is happening? Did the acid I drop just kick in? Right? What the hell is going on? I had no idea there were vampires at all. Not a clue. And so I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. Is this the same movie? What? I was so confused. I was so confused. But at the same time, 
my brain was doing a little fist pump. I was oh, yeah. so in love with it. I mean, I was already into that movie. I thought it was a great movie. I mean, Michael Parks in the beginning, that whole bit is fantastic. But then, vampires? And then it gets even gorier and even bloodier and even, you know, it just, everything just gets turned up to 11. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, my mind was blown. And that is today, or to date, the best experience I've ever had seeing a film in the theater. I wish I could have had that. I don't know exactly how I knew about the movie. Maybe I saw a trailer or whatever. But I knew what it was when I went into it. And I still enjoyed it, but I would have loved it so much more. If I had that experience, if I just went in and going, yeah, it's going to be Quentin Tarantino, gangster, crime movie, awesome, I like his stuff, and then, holy shit, vampires. <laughs> yeah, you know, Dave's over there going, see, that's why I told you, I don't watch trailers. <laughs> and that brings me up to my next one, when you're done. Uh, no, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's going to be one that's on, I was going to talk just about. Just to it. show Dave he don't know everything. <laughs> it is a more recent movie. And I think it had such an effect on me because, one, it's a great scene, but two, there was the trailers, I had seen them, and I was aware of it. And that is... Can you name it? Barbarian? No. Oh, that was going to be... Shit. Spoiler. Okay. I was going to talk about Barbarian. (laughs) Mine? Hereditary. Oh, yeah. And it's a scene when a little girl gets her head taken off. Yes. Holy fuck. I remember we saw that in the theater, Uh and we were both just sitting there, stunned, with, like, mouths agape, and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I think in my typical form, I might have been laughing. (laughs) But uh, that was so good. Specifically, again, it's a good scene in and of itself. It's just, it's a good movie. But because I've seen the trailer, and so many times... That trailer was cut in such a way you knew it was going to be about that little girl. You knew she was going to be in a movie. You knew it was going to be all about her and the demon trying to take her over. You knew what that movie was going to be. And for the first half of the movie, it looks like it's going to be that. You know, she is the one who's clucking her tongue and having birds slam into windows and cutting off their heads and all this stuff. It's centered around her. And then to take her out, like that? Yeah. In such a brutal way, Oh, too. my God. Oh, my God. I love that. That was awesome. And I, to prove my point, I don't think it would have been as effective if I hadn't seen the trailers. No, I agree. Yes, I think it still would have been effective. It's a good scene and a good movie. But because I knew in my head what the movie was already going to be, mm-hmm. it's going to be about this little girl getting possessed by her dead grandma or something like that. To take her out just so suddenly, so viciously, wow. I mean, I loved that. I Well, that actually leads perfectly into the movie that I've already spoiled that I was going to talk about, and that is Barbarian, uh, because, again, we watched the trailer for that numerous times, uh, because, you know, every time we go to the movies, there it is. I can't even tell you how many times I saw that trailer. A lot. I wanted to see it. It looked great, but... I had in my head several different directions that it could go. Not a single one of those was the way it went. (laughs) And the way it went, you can't fucking predict it. There is no way in hell you could guess that that's what's going to be going on in this movie. Ba-ba. Ba-ba. So the scene in that film that really got me 
was, you know, in the beginning, you know, like, oh, what's going on? Is he a bad guy? Is he not a bad guy? Is it, you know, is he telling the truth? Is this, you know, it seems creepy. It's it's a good movie. You're in the movie. But then when <laughs> he actually goes downstairs to investigate, and then, you know, she's he she hears him screaming, and she goes downstairs, and she's like, oh, you know, you know, where are you, and what's going on? And then, you know, they meet, and then he's like, you gotta get out of here, or whatever, like he's saying. And then the fucking, this monster, mm-hmm. this, what the fuck is it? Ginormous naked lady. It, it looks naked like... Naked grandma. It, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steve Harvey would have a fit. <laughs> it looks like if the creature from Wreck and the creature from the cellar yeah. in Evil Dead 2 like were mashed together. That's what it reminds... Those are the two images that came into my head. Mm-hmm. And just comes out of nowhere and smashes his head and there goes Bill Spar- Bill yeah. Skarsgård. And again, that's a good example of I think watching the trailer enhanced that. Oh, and I've said that numerous times and I stand by that. So yeah, I would not have been nearly as blown like sideways yeah. because of the trailer I was expect like I'll tell you the first thing I thought of when I watched the trailer was like she's gonna go downstairs she's gonna find I was looking for something mystical something like I don't know she was gonna find the Necronomicon or something like something crazy going on you in see, the basement I, more like a witchcraft kind of thing I wasn't I was actually expecting kind of what she when she finds the obvious rape room with the video camera right, and the bed right. and I was like oh Skarsgård is a little douchebag. <laughs> he does this a lot. He rents out his house and has these women come over and just, oops, we just happen to be co-booked. Let's just stay together. That's how I thought that movie was going. And then you have ginormous, horrible lady thing come out yeah. and just snuff him. And again, I think that's a good example of how a trailer... If a trailer is done right, it can set you up for one thing and then aid in that switcheroo yeah. when it happens in a movie. Well, it, it should accomplish two things. It should, one, first and foremost, make you want to see the yes. movie, which is why I still like watching trailers, because it does get me excited to see movies. And occasionally you have bad ones that spoil things, like Don't Breathe and The Conjuring, or the yes. ones I always bring up. But Especially and actually, that Don't Breathe one. Jesus Christ. Um, the Conjuring one is the one that put Dave off trailers. Oh, uh, yeah. So, like, you do have those, and they do fuck up, but... More often than not, they don't. And I have never in my life uttered the words, well, I don't even need to see the movie now. I've seen the whole movie. That's impossible. Yeah. Like, it's... No. <laughs> that doesn't. It doesn't work that way. There's so much more going on in that hour and a half to two hours than what they show you in a couple of minutes of a trailer. You don't know the context of things. You don't know how things come to be unless they pointedly spoil something like with Don't Breathe. Which mm-hmm. was a horrible spoiler. Yeah, that was terrible. But that, that does movie, happen. That movie was good. I like it. But it would have been so much better. If you didn't that. know. Yeah. yeah. And whoever made that, whoever cut that trailer. He's an asshole. They should be, yeah. But if it's done well, it should make you want to see the movie. But also mislead you mm-hmm. somehow. Now, I know that the people who cut the trailers, they haven't seen the whole movie. Usually the movie's not even done yet. So they just get the scenes that and they're given and they put it together. To be quite frank, uh, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They're, they're just doing a job. people 
they're there to sell the movie. Then they'll use Period. whatever they have yes. in the best way they know how. They're not purposely trying to troll you by spoiling a movie. No. They just don't care. And they also don't care, uh, you know, ultimately what your final enjoyment of the movie is. Yeah. So if they do end up spoiling something... If they get something, you to buy a ticket and sit your ass down, they've done their job. Right. You know, on the, on the rare occasion... You have the ones who just excel, mm-hmm. and Hereditary and and Barbarian, I think, are yeah, those among are two those amazing trailers. And I do think that both of those trailers did enhance my viewing yes. of those films because if yeah, and for the same reason, I my brain was going in a totally different direction. And then you go into the movie, and then you're like, what the fuck? Now, if I had just seen the title Barbarian had no idea about the setup or anything, I would still be surprised when that happens because you're not going to see that coming out of nowhere. But what made it even better was that I did have those preconceived notions in my head and it flew in the face of those, which means it surprised me on like an extra level. you know. Yeah. So I just thought it was that much better because I had seen the trailer. But anyway, yeah, that scene, I was like, what? <laughs> I mean... What? Yeah, but it was great. It was phenomenal, but it shocked the hell out of me. That's a good one. Do you have another one? Sure. Just so listeners know, we didn't make a list of these. We're doing this off the cuff, off the top of our head as we just think of them. So I'm trying my best not to be too repetitive. In my two examples so far, I don't think either one of them would be classified as a jump scare. Just good parts of the movie that got you. But this next one is a jump scare. Through and through, we're going back to The Exorcist, (laughs) or more specifically... Exorcist 3. Exorcist 3, and it is the single best jump scare ever. I have said that forever. I will continue to say that forever, unless, you know, I'd like to see somebody prove me wrong, some new filmmaker do something even better. But that scare, and you know what I'm talking about if you've ever seen Exorcist 3, or at least you fucking better have. It is the nurse in the hall who gets her head taken off by the nun in the white cloak. And, well, I guess white habit, I guess. It is so good. That is a master class in how you do a jump scare. I mean, seriously, that could be right out of film school. That teaches you what you need. The setup, the building of tension, how you can take it away at the end and then come back to it. How you can mislead the audience with these glimpses of safety. Like when the the security guard leaves and you're like, oh shit. But then he comes back and you're like, ah. But then he leaves again and you're like, oh shit. It is just so well done. And you know something's going to happen because you're in a horror movie. Shit happens in horror movies. They're meant to scare you. But you don't know what. You don't know where. You don't know how. And when it does, holy shit. And I think it's all about the setup. That scene is not afraid to just play as long as it needs. No, he sets the camera at the end of the hall and leaves it there. Yeah. And you watch that scene play out without any editing, without any cuts. Or I mean, there might be cuts in there, but you can't see them. It's there are like, some things where she goes into the one room where she hears a noise, and then we now switch to that room where we get to oh, see the where patient the, Yeah, the, the, the ice yeah. trickles down, and then the guy's like, rah, leave me alone, rah, that Why guy. Why can't you leave me alone? But yeah, I mean... But for the most part, you're sitting in a hallway, you have the one point of view, mm-hmm. and that's it. And it's just playing it's, out in agonizing, slow, real time. 
So you know something's going to happen, but you don't know what. And when it does, holy fuck. Yeah. No, that's that's perfection. That is the best jump scare. And there's a lot of good jump scares, and that's... A lot of times I come down on movies when they're nothing but jump scares. But that's when they're cheap jump that's scares. That's when they're cheap and they don't work. Like if somebody's throwing a cat at yeah, somebody. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's... Or doing the whole friend walks up behind them. Hey, Bob! Oh! But if you can pull off a jump scare and fucking nail me, I will love you for it. Because it's good. I want that. I want to be scared in a horror movie. Imagine that. And that one, it just, it floored me. Okay, well, and I agree with that. That was actually one that I was going to bring up. So, um, we'll go on to my next idea, which is also a more recent film. And that is A Quiet Place. Mm, Okay. The very beginning of that movie. Ah, that's awesome. We first meet the family. They're in a store. There's the little boy who wants the rocket ship. And his dad's like, no, because you have to be quiet in this world. Now, you don't know that yet. I mean, you kind of have the idea, but you don't know to what extent. Right. You don't know exactly what's going on at this point. But... You don't know noise is bad. Yeah, and you can tell they're all being very quiet. They're being very careful with their movements. And so he's like, no, you can't have this. And it's for the kid's own good because it makes too much noise. But his deaf sister doesn't necessarily realize that, so she gives it to him. And they don't. the parents don't know that. They purposely do that scene where he has it, but then the father takes it away and not only puts it on the shelf, but takes, but the, takes batteries out the batteries out. Yeah. And then the deaf sister gives him the toy, both out the batteries. She's like, you know, in her mind, she's like, it's safe now. Here you go. Nobody expected a little dipshit to go, okay, thank you. And as soon as the sister turns around, pick up the batteries and stick them back in, which is exactly what he does. Yeah. Because kids are stupid. That's what they would do. Yep. And then, you know, we're walking home in a straight line. They're being very careful how they're walking. And then you hear it. And I love how you hear it and you see the parent, you know, the father's face, oh, and the mother's face, oh, but the deaf sister, she don't know what's going on. No. And that's just awesome. You see the kid behind her, you know, waving the ship in the air, like, oh, I'm flying. And she's looking at her parents, looking totally pale and drained of everything, terrified. And she's like, what? What's wrong? Because she can't hear the goddamn rocket ship behind her. Yeah. That is awesome. And then, here it comes. Mm -hmm. Like, out of nowhere, that creature just hauls it, because they're fucking fast. That creature just cuts through the forest, and Kaczynski immediately starts running Mm -hmm. for his kid. He's going to save his son, but before he can get to him, he's gone. Yep. And I remember just sitting there in the theater, I was like, what, what just happened? What, and I I turned to Brian at the time, and I was just like, so it's that kind of movie. <laughs> like, and I am here for it. Like, I, I always, immediately fell in love with that movie. I always give a movie a little bit of a step up, uh, rank it up a little bit higher on my ratings just for the fact that it can kill a kid. And it's not like I love killing kids or anything like that. No, it's but, the taboo of it. Yeah, it's... Most horror movies, you know the kid's going to be fine. The monster's going to chase them. They're going to get away. This monster will kill everybody else in a 10-mile radius, but that kid is going to somehow survive. And it, you know, again, I don't like killing kids. I don't like seeing dead kids, but it takes something away from the film if you just know, yeah, okay, you're going to be fine. But for when a movie does that, another movie, uh, Humanoids from the Deep, when they 
take out that whole boat full of people, one of them's a kid. And I was like, damn! You know? <laughs> Good on them for going there. So yeah, it lets you know that this is a truly scary place. No one is safe. Yeah. I'm going back old school. This isn't a jump scare or anything, but it did floor me simply because it took, at this time, gore to the next level for me. And this was early on in my horror-watching career, but I'm talking about Day of the Dead and when Captain Rhodes gets ripped apart. Oh. And he's getting eaten while still alive and choke on it! <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, when I saw Day of the Dead, I had seen Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, and then, of course, all Day of the Dead up until that point. So I'd seen gore gags. I'd seen, you know, zombies eating guts and people getting their arms ripped off and, you know, and I've appreciated them. Go, wow, that's neat. But that was just so, so, so much more. The fact that they showed it for as long as they did, as close as they did, uh, they have the zombies dragging the legs away down the hall, and then the rest of them just piling around, pulling out guts, and the fact that he was still alive, you know, choke on it! I love that scene, and it floored me. It's not simple in the technical way of how they had to make it. I'm sure it was a pain in the ass. But just in terms of the story, it's a simple scene. You know, Rhodes gets shot, and then he falls down, and the zombies get him. But just the way it was handled, the way it was executed, that was, for that time, up until that time, the most gnarly, amazing thing I'd ever seen. And yeah, like I said, there was previous gore gags and blood and guts and all that, but that was just so much more. And I just didn't, I didn't think movies could go that far. And so, yeah, it really affected me. I like it. Uh, okay, well then, here's another one for me that's actually fairly recent as well. And this this didn't take place until the very end of the film. I mean, the very end. It's the last scene of the film. And that is when Bruce Willis shows up at the counter at the end of Split. Ah, that's good, yeah. That was really and, good. And, you know, we'd gone through this entire movie with these characters and what's going on with the Beast and all of that. You know, this, all of this, all of this. And then you get to the very end and the girls are talking about, you know, like, oh, what was that guy's name that yeah, got, you know, and something, yeah. And then he's just, then it just pans over to Bruce Willis and he's like, Mr. Mr. Glass. Glass. And I was, <laughs> I pissed myself. I was so excited. I was so just like, what? Because there was nothing, zero in that nope. movie to indicate anything like that was coming. And the moment he said that, I was just like, holy shit! Like, it changed everything. It changed the way I looked at the entire film. Because we now know it's in the same world. We now know that th these characters exist together. And I was just fucking wow. And it fit. It was like a puzzle piece. It yeah. fit snugly and securely, and it all made sense. When you see Bruce Willis, you're like, of course. That was, that was perfect. That... I just wish Glass, the movie after that, would have been. Yeah, that that yeah, that was kind of a downer. But I, I does that does nothing to affect nope. how amazed I was, how blown away I was, just how giddy 
I was. And then even right then I was, I started to immediately feel sorry for people who had never seen Unbreakable. Yeah. And wouldn't get it. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, oh, I hope everybody's seen Unbreakable because otherwise you're not getting how fucking cool that mm-hmm. is because it was fucking cool. And just that it was so unexpected. I mean, how many years later was it? it yes. And he had never said anything about wanting to do, at least I never heard or read anything where he wanted to do an Unbreakable universe or have other stories to tell no, in that No, as far as I know, he didn't tell anyone. Yeah. I mean, obviously... The, you know, people involved with making the film knew, but this was not something that outlets were talking about or had even been released, because if it had been, it would have been everywhere. So they managed to keep it under wraps. And that just made it that much better. If I'd known that going in, it wouldn't have been as cool. It still yeah. would have been cool because of the connections, but it wouldn't have been as cool. What made it so awesome was that... He, there was nothing about it beforehand. You didn't know that until you watched the movie. And then it was just like, holy shit. That's a good one. Okay, I'm trying to vary up my selections. So I've done a good gore gag that really got me. I've done the best jump scare ever. I've done just probably the most shocking, horrific movie experience I've ever had. Now I'm going to go with quiet horror. And how something creeped me out so much. And I love being creeped out. That's harder than anything else to do. It's what good horror creators go for. I will take creep and tension and slow building dread over jump scares and shock anytime. Now, again, I love some, I love a good jump scare and I love being shocked, but just slow, creepy dread. Is awesome because you can feel it like in your spine, like it just goes up your back, and you you start oh shit, almost <laughs> like it tingles. Yes, it's spine tingling. Yes, or the tingler. <laughs> Don't scream. But for this, oh no, you have to scream. You have to scream, get off you. But for this, <laughs> it's one of my favorite haunted house movies of all time. I think it's one of the best Haunted House movies of all time. And there's a lot of good Haunted House movies. But this one was largely overlooked and forgotten for years and years. And I remember I would be, I love this movie, and even other horror fans would be, what? Huh? I never saw that. It's recently gotten more and more and more attention and appraisals. And people realize how good it is. But I'm talking about The Changeling. Specifically... The seance scene leading up into the scene where uh, George C. Scott, he's in his house, and he hits the record or the play button on the tape they were recording the seance on. And then you could hear the little kid's voice. Mm-hmm. And just the fact, holy shit, there was something there. And you can hear it. I don't know, something about that just really got to me. I think that seance scene is creepy as fuck. Oh, anyway. it is. Just the way that she delivers that when she's just so, you know... Deadpan. Just dead, you know. Help. Help yeah. me. Are Help you here, me. Joseph? Yeah, I mean, and just it's just so... Yeah, deadpan. And, like, and you got the guy next to him writing him out. Help. 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 John. Help. Help. <laughs> And, but then, specifically when he goes to play that recorder back, because you never heard the voice in the first time, you just heard 
the seance lady and the guy next to her writing the stuff down. And you can still hear that on recording, but now you can hear a dead kid. He's speaking the lines that he's writing down. And just that was so fucking good. That was so just creepy. It was so eerie. good that James Wan did the same exactly. thing. Exactly. <laughs> but I think he did it well too. Like it, it worked well when he did that seance scene. But well, it was not as good as the changeling. It's the old saying, good artists borrow. Great artists steal. And that whole fucking movie, Christ, the little bouncing ball nearly mm. had me shit in my pants. And that's just a ball bouncing down some stairs. But uh, specifically that seance scene and how it leads into the tape recording and to reveal that, yes, there was a voice there. It was eerie. I guess that's the best word for it for me, anyways. Eerie. Well, speaking of reveal, my next one is probably one of the most shocking revelations in horror history. Is it Saw? No. No. <laughs> um, although that... That's a good one. That is true. The uh, first one, anyways. No, it is um, the ending of Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> because the first time I saw that, it legitimately scared me. Yeah. Like I was, I was shaken uh, when, when it just kind of when the camera pulls back and you see Angela standing there naked for a little dicky do, and I was like. What and then, but it's more than that, it's the sound, yeah. you know, that, you know, that it's and then that look on her face because it's just a mask, it's just, yeah, and so it doesn't change expression or anything, so it's just standing there with that look and that sound, and then you're like, it's a and then you get that reveal the same time that the characters do, and they're like. Oh my God, she's a boy! <laughs> and I was thinking that I was sitting there going, "Oh my God, she's a boy!" Like <laughs> it was out of nowhere. Like who saw that coming? And now, if you watch the movie, you can you can see where you know there are Ricky, where it's Ricky. Like when she goes to pull the chair out from the cook, and well, you know it's a guy's when, hand, obviously. Specifically, when uh, Julie is in oh. the, uh, Judy. Judy's in the bunk room by herself, and then door opens. You get that, you that silhouette. Yeah, that's clearly a dude standing. On there. regular film, you couldn't see shit, but now thanks to Blu-ray and everything that goes with it, like I was saying about uh, Intruder, that was obviously something you didn't expect anyone to ever be able to see. But now, because of the enhanced visual, you know, aesthetic we can look at, yeah, you can see it. It's like when you see special effects and they just don't match the skin tones. Like Friday the 13th. Yeah. Which I think they've cleaned it up. Yeah, they've... In the most recent releases, but when it first hit... Oh, um, it was glaring. It was so obvious, the difference between Annie's neck and her face. Mm -hmm. But now, they've kind of blended that out a little bit better and it looks great. But, yeah. I, so, if you go back and watch it now, knowing the end, there are things that are kind of that'll kind of give it away. I, well, even then, though, you just think it's Ricky. You know, yeah. you don't really think that Angela would necessarily be doing it. So I, I guess even if you do notice those parts, the reveal still works. But I was legitimately freaked out. Like, that scared me when I saw that. And I wasn't even all that young. You know, that was one that I came into a little bit later. I was probably 21, 22. Yeah, not me. I was young. In fact, that was my second horror movie of all time. 
Oh, that's right. You watched it the same night you watched Friday, Friday the 13th. Yep. Yeah. So at that time, maybe I was too young or maybe I was too sheltered in my little white boy, white bread type of suburban life. But uh, I just thought it was strange. I just, I couldn't put my head, wrap my head around it. Like, why does she have a dick? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I was very sheltered. I don't know. I just think I was too young to, you know, add one and one and get two. I was like, one plus one equals what? <laughs> I like that. One plus one equals what? <laughs> but no, that's a good scene. Yeah. Do you have another one? The last one is another reveal. It's a twist in a tale that I think worked exceptionally well. Because during this whole movie, you know exactly where it's going. It is very obvious. And that is the boy. And you know it's Haunted Doll and it's going to be ghosts and all that stuff. And it's a good movie in and of itself for that part of it. You know, it's a good spooky, creepy movie where the doll is moving. Never when you're looking at it, but, you know, whenever you turn away, it does something. But then... And I've heard a lot of people give this twist a bunch of shit. Yeah, me too. A lot and of I, people come down on the movie on the whole, and I don't get that. I, I don't really like it. I don't think The Boy 2 is any good at all. I think that really dropped the ball. But the first boy, when you find out that the doll is just a doll, and Brahms is actually a guy that's living in the walls, and he wears a mask, and he's all fucked up, that was awesome. And then he talks in that little voice too, that yeah, little little boy little voice. boy voice. It rem you know, and I said it at the time when we saw it in the theater, and it's still every time I think about it or we watch it today, it reminds me of Hell Night, and it's just that all this time in the in the Hell Night, mm -hmm. and I think it's because one, it takes place in a mansion, yeah, and then you know, two, you've got the per like the killer. The creature in, I mean, they're human, but they're gorks, <laughs> to quote the film, in and Hell Knight that are living in them in the house, but nobody knows it. And I'll give Hell Knight some credit. That was an awesome reveal, that there were two killers. Yes. Before Scream was ever a thought in anyone's head, they did it, and they did it well. Because you hear the story of the father killing his family, and one, you know, he left his one child alive. And that was the worst punishment of all. And then you see some mutant guy occasionally killing people. You're like, okay, that's a kid who was left alive and he's just been living in his house. And he's obviously crazy because he saw his family die. And then when they kill someone, and you're like, oh, that's it. But then there's a second one. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah, and they're even excited. He's like, I killed him, I killed yeah. him. You know, like, and then... You're like, oh, good, now we're going to leave. And then as he's going, oh, I, you know, I killed him, let's go. He gets grabbed mm -hmm. out of nowhere by the second one that you didn't know existed. And I love that. You know, that's an off-screen kill. They just grab the guy and pull him off-screen, literally. And you hear, ah, bang, bang, or fighting. And then nothing. And then you see the shotgun get thrown out. <laughs> that is just perfect. It's like, come get the shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the boy, yeah, I think that was done very well. Because everything up until the point seems like a legit ghost story. It seems like all the things are coming down. 
and it's gonna be, you know, haunted doll and all that stuff. But then to see it's, you know, basically a slasher killer living in the walls and stuff, and yeah, maybe it might be hard to believe that he was so ninja-like that he could move around so quietly, so stealthily, not being seen, not being heard. But, you know, it's a fucking movie. <laughs> so I, I forgive that. I think they did it very well. I think that swerve worked really well. And I think that's the best part of the movie. I think the whole movie is good. It's solid. But when his creepy ass came out of that fucking wall, I was like, wow. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. I loved it. It was such a fun, it was such a fun thing. And yeah, I mean, and you're right. Up until that point, you're thinking, oh, Haunted Doll movie. Okay. And it's good as that. I thought it was a good movie yeah. anyway. I really was enjoying my time with the movie. But then, yeah, when he comes out of the wall, all Hell Knight style, mm -hmm. I was just like, holy shit. But I loved it because much like Barbarian this year or this past year, it kind of end malignant the year before and i talked about this on our top 10 episode malignant is a good one it harkened back to those days the days of uh, you know the late 70s early mm -hmm. 80s when you'd get some crazy fucked up bullshit like that that you weren't expecting and you know you don't get a lot of that these days only now it seems to kind of be cycling itself back around and that's okay with me because yeah. i love it so yeah yeah you know when i'm watching a movie and i just can't i can't help myself but i'm always thinking ahead, like, okay, what's going to happen? What is the plot behind this? And to uh, honk my own horn, I'm usually right. I usually can see the stuff coming before it happens on the screen. I'm constantly telling you, so do you want to know what's going on? Or do you want me to just shut up and, you know, not spoil it for you? But I love it when a movie can get me. Can legitimately, honestly, and... Well, like, it's honestly get me. Not just some blatant pulling it out of your ass, you know, surprise! I hate that stuff, and I will never, ever give it any props. But when a movie can do it, honestly, really get me, I fucking love it. Yeah. And that movie did that, so... Uh, well, uh, I just mentioned James Wan with Malignant, but there is one more that I wanted to talk about. And it, you, Malignant you, is a case, let me just real quick. That was a case where I kind of knew where it was going. Yeah. I don't know why, but even from the beginning, I was like, okay, I know what's happening. I've seen The Dark Half 2, yeah. so I knew what they were doing. But I still loved it when they did it. It was still fun. Well, there, even though you knew what it was, and I did too, um, I knew what was going on there, you know, why, you know, she's losing time, mm -hmm. basically, and then, oh, how convenient is that? But then when you actually see that little creature out the back, it is like, yeah, I was, what did we watch just recently where it was exactly the same thing? In the Mouth of Madness has a creature. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, that was pretty much dead on. Mm -hmm. Like, it looked the same, but. About malignant, one last thing. When you go back and watch it already knowing that, it does nothing but build my admiration for James Wan. Because again, Yay. he played it honest. He did. Those scenes where you can see the mysterious man in black doing his stuff. But if you look at his hands, they are backwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I was specifically looking for. It's like, okay, he should be holding that thing the other way. And they don't dwell on it. They're not going to show you a clear shot. But you can see that, yeah, that son of a bitch is backwards. Yeah, if you go back and look, if you go back and pay attention, 
Uh, he was honest when yeah. he made that movie. And you, the thing as is... As weird and as fucked up and as silly as it is, because it is, he did it legit. And I love that. When a filmmaker, a storyteller, whatever, can do the work, not the blatant bullshit at the end. Just really? No, this is a story. And if you watch, even from the beginning, you can see all the parts to this puzzle. Well, and the thing I love about that, too, is, yes, like, we both kind of figured, like, evil twin kind of thing, or, you know, conjoined twin kind of thing. I knew that she was the one do like, her body was the one doing it. I just figured that she was, her mind was being taken over. But I had no idea, and this, and so I think this worked really well. That when it he was, splits his skull open in the prison, yes. and he goes peeking out. <laughs> And that then awesome. you st- and then you start to your brain starts to put together. Holy shit! That's why. And I even turned to you when we watched it at that scene where uh, he's chasing him through the underground, and I was like, God, why is he moving so weird? Yeah. I, and I even said, I was like, he he's running funny, but I didn't realize it was because he, he was, was going backwards. fucking backwards. <laughs> and then so when all that comes together at the end, it's just fucking yeah. brilliant. Well, that's why it was my number one. So. But no, that's actually not the movie I was going to talk about. Okay. I was going to talk about Saw. And the, oh, f- yeah. the first time I was hey, watching Saw... I knew Saw, Saw was going to be in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first time I was watching Saw, I was watching it with my roommate. And uh, I didn't see that in the theater. We were watching it at home. And you get, through, you get through the whole movie. And, you know, you get to the end. And you think, oh, they got the killer. Or we know who the killer is. You know, she actually was so high <laughs> that we got to the end and she's like, you know, okay. So when when you think you know who the killer is and how it's going to end, she then just passed out. <laughs> she did. I mean, she's like, you know, oh, okay. And then she just took a little weed. She, uh, yeah. Then she went to sleep. And so she's sitting there sleeping next to me. Movie's not over yet. When he stands up at the <laughs> end of that movie. Because you're not looking at that dead guy on the floor. You, I mean, yeah, there's a dead guy on the floor. That's it. There's nothing more to it. I mean, he's holding the tape recorder, but you don't, you're not paying attention to him. He's just a prop, right? I mean, that's, you just assume he's just there. It's just showing you how deadly and how serious this is. But then... And that's somebody else who went through the same thing and had to kill himself to right. escape. And then when he actually stands up, I was on my <laughs> feet. And I said, what the fuck? <laughs> and she kind of woke up a little bit. And she's like, what's going on? And I was like, he wasn't the killer. He wasn't the killer. <laughs> and she had no idea what I was talking about. And she had missed it. And then she just went back to sleep. Mm-hmm. But I had to tell her about it the next day. We had to watch it again. It was a mess. But I, <laughs> I was, holy crap. Like, that was, I wish I had seen that in the theater. Because that would have been fucking fun. Oh, it was good. I remember everybody losing their mind. Did you have a big crowd when you went to go see it? No. It was about medium-sized. Like, half the theater was kind of full. Yeah, and everybody was like, ah! Because <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking yeah. great. It it's was great so ending. great. And I don't care what you think about the Saw franchise. I'm not a big fan of the Saw franchise. I've said that no. a lot. But I do love the original. Yep. And... That's one of the reasons why. Because I don't care what you think about the Saw franchise, that was fucking brilliant. I agree. It was just brilliant. And <laughs> and I, 
I'll never get over my reaction to that. Now, I don't know what I would have done if I had been in a crowded theater while watching that movie. I probably wouldn't have stood up screaming, <laughs> what the fuck, but it just... Well, you were home, and also you were probably high. Yeah. <laughs> and it just... I was floored. I, I, it was fantastic. And the whole... Even though I liked the movie up to that point, when that happened, that just... Sh- I just shot up. Like, it just... I love this movie. And at the time, you know, I'm a huge James Wan fan. Love the Wanniverse. I got all the respect in the world for that guy. Everybody knows it. I talk about it all the time. Uh, I even hear people on other podcasts when they're talking about James Wan movies. If somebody says something bad, then somebody will be like, oh, no, don't let Jamie hear you say that. Because <laughs> everybody knows I'm a huge James Wan fan. At the time, there was nothing to really be a fan of. You know, I mean, he had made that one... What's that movie the, about the revenge guy? Death? He did Saw, then he did Dead Silence, then he did... Oh, what the hell? Yeah, it's basically a take on a death, death wish. Death sentence. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yay. Yeah, so he made um, Saw, then Dead Silence, then Death Sentence. And, well, he had a, the Stygian before that, which I've never seen. That was his first thing. I've never seen that. Never heard but of it. But Saw was everyone's introduction yeah. to him because he'd never done anything before. Nobody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And then this was just like, oh, what the fuck? You know, and then, of course, he came on to uh, become what he has become. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good on him. I'm proud of him. But, yeah, uh, first time out of the gate, shit. <laughs> that was good shit. So, I think that's about it for me. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Oh, there's tons of them, but I'm not going to recount every time I thought a movie did something excellent or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's anything that we didn't talk about that blew you guys away, tell us. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite moment? Something that did, yeah, blow you away, left you gobsmacked, be it a jump scare or, you know, a gory effect or whatever. Or a, twist. a reveal. Yeah, or... a reveal. Whatever. Something that really was like, oh shit. Uh, let us know. One quick closing one. The opening scene of The Descent, where the car accident, where the pole comes through the father, yeah. or the husband and the little kid. Like, the pole comes through the car. Yeah, that's a good one. It didn't wow me. Or I was... Like uh, well, then the reveal of the creature. Because, again, when I saw that movie, I had no idea. I had no idea it was a creature feature. I thought it was just about spelunking, and which is terrifying in and of itself when you get in little tight places and all of that. So you thought it was just some girls going down a cave and then getting lost? Yeah. Huh. I seriously thought it was just like... Um, I don't know. I love that movie. I think it's fucking great. Uh, five out of five. I don't think it floored me at any time. But, I mean, that's you, mentioned, you notice I didn't mention The Thing. And The Thing is my number one movie of all time, but I don't think there was a scene in there that hit me so hard as yeah. these others. I mean, the whole movie is amazing, and it's fucking awesome, but I don't walk, you know, there wasn't one scene like, oh my god, that will stick with me forever. Yeah, that's going to be true. I mean, I can say, say the same thing about Jaws, but, yeah. you know, it's phenomenal. It's my favorite movie of all time. But I didn't mention it here because there isn't a single scene there that just wowed me. Yep, guys, if you've got anything that you want to mention or something that blew you away, uh, let us know. Send us an email. Um, You can email us, by the way, at maven1974 at gmail.com. 
or you can message us on Facebook, or you can just put it on the Facebook group page. Yes. Maybe someday we'll get a Twitter, but not now. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> I used to have Twitter. I still do. I like Twitter. Okay, we will be right back with Attack of the Colossal Collection. Attack of the Colossal Collection. Collection. Here we are with the very first Attack of the Colossal Collection of Season 3. Yes, we're still going. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be going for a while. And we are all the way in the beginning of the Ds. Yes. But (laughs) before we get to the Ds, where we left off last time, we have some pickup to do. Yeah, between uh, then and now, we got a couple more movies in and such, like stuff I got. A couple, like seven. Like seven. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just seven. This is, what these are going to be the films that we've added to the collection that would have been spoken about earlier if we had owned them at the time. Yes. If that makes sense. So, I mean. We're filling in some blanks. Case in point, the first movie we're going to be talking about is Altered States from 1980. So, naturally, this would be in the A's, but we just got it now. Uh, this you was You gave it to me for Christmas, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this, actually, a lot of these are Christmas presents. This was a movie that uh, Jamie really liked and was talking about wanting to see it. And we didn't have it, so I picked it up on Blu-ray. And this is the first time I've seen it in a long time. It's not the first time watch for me, but I haven't seen it in probably 30-some years, if not more. And uh, it was surprisingly good. It is a very weird movie, but then again, it's Ken Russell. I was going to say it's very Ken Russell. So I, There's no getting away from that. It doesn't make a lot of sense at times. Strange stuff happens just for the sake of strange stuff. But it is a trip. It is a hell of a movie. Uh, William Hurt plays a scientist who wants to explore the further reaches of... Uh, it's uh, mind-altering drugs and isolation tanks and a whole bunch of other stuff that Joe Rogan loves so much. He feels like he can tap into... Racial memory. And Right, yeah. And so he goes on a trip to Mexico? Yes, for uh, some magic mushrooms. And Yeah, and then sort of does like a... Um, uh, what do you call it? A uh, dream... Uh, dr- uh, dream... Yeah. You know, dream, <laughs> dream, 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 dream. You know, it's called a dream. You're like you're going on a journey. A but vision a, quest. A vision quest. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> through his various experimentation, he actually does de-evolve, and it's just, it's just weird. But it's a fun weird. I do like it. It has some great special effects. The direction is strange as hell, but it's good because Ken Russell. Mm-hmm. And so if you've never seen it and you just want to watch a trippy-ass movie, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's got a good cast, oh, yeah. too. Uh, apart from William Hurt, there's a very young John Larroquette who shows up. Um, if you don't know his name, if you're too young to have watched Night Court, then he did the opening narration for Texas Chainsaw for horror fans. What? What is it called? Uh... A group of youths. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I really like this movie. I was introduced to this by some strange dude in a video store. 
Well, yeah. When I, very early on, when I first started doing written reviews for, like, local stuff back in Athens, I was in a video store perusing the shelves, looking for things to review, and this guy came up to me. He was kind of hot. <laughs> but he came up to me and he's like, hey, you like horror? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, then check this out. And he just hands me the movie. And I'm like, okay, well, Hawkeye said watch it, so okay. I don't know if it's a horror movie, though. I can see where it would be. I don't know if I would necessarily classify it that way, but I think it's more science fiction. Yeah. But it's very good. Yeah, it is. I mean, I first saw it on HBO way back in the day when I was way too... A lot too, of nudity. Way too young to understand it. That might have been the last time I saw it. So I always thought, yeah, it's kind of cool, but just very weird and I don't get it. But you remembered the end. Yeah, well, like I've said, uh, my memory works oddly. I can yeah, remember well, movies. I tease you all the time and say, you can watch a movie once in 1984 and you'll remember lines from it. And I'm not kidding. It's not a, it, It's not made up or exaggeration. This is proof right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we get to the end of the film and he's like, ah, this end always, it's straight out of the AHA video. It is. Or the AHA video <laughs> is straight, straight, out, of, this, straight yeah. out of this. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. I never thought about that before. And I said, how did you remember that? He's like, I don't know. I always, don't know. <laughs> always stuck with me. And I didn't remember that. And I've seen the movie a lot. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. As for our rating, since it's a new season, you want to go over our ratings real quick? So yeah, uh, ratings in House of Salmons are the old Netflix ratings. The good Back ratings. when they made sense. Yeah. Uh, one is hated it. Two, didn't like it. Three, liked it. Four, really liked it. And five, means we loved it. As for this movie, we both give it a four out of five, which means we both really like it. Uh, next up, we have from 2022, and if you listened to our top ten episode, you heard both of us talk about it there, and that is The Black Phone, which was directed by Scott Derrickson, starring Ethan Hawke. Based off a story by Joe Hill, son of Stephen King. And you know what cracks me up is I've heard a lot of people review this movie recently because I've been listening to a lot of top lists for the year, and it's on just about every list. Good. For and good it reason. Should be. It's a good, but good you know movie. But do you know how often people go, it's just, it's so similar to Stephen King. Yeah, and I'm I wonder like, why. it's fucking Joe Hill. <laughs> They're like the same guy. I mean, not really. No. They're, you know, they have their differences. But they but are very similar in how they create stories. And I'm not surprised by that. I'm sure Joe Hill learned at the feet of the master and, uh. If it's working for his dad, why would he change it? But yeah, we talked about this at length during our Top Ten show. So just real quick, we both love this movie. We both give it a five out of five. Yep. It is a period piece. It's a ghost story. It's a thriller. It's just a really good film. Okay, next up, we have also from 2022, and this was a big surprise for both of us as to how much we yes. enjoyed it. And it made both of our... Honorable, honorable mentions, mentions yep. lists, and uh, we just recently rated it. Well, my rating went up when I watched it a second time. Mine stayed the same. And that is Bodies, 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 uh, which was a surprisingly fun little Agatha Christie-esque. Kind of. You know, yeah. um, I mean, it's not really, it's not a slasher. Yeah, it's not really a horror movie. It's more of a 
mystery whodunit slash comedy. Heavy on the comedy. It's about a bunch of young, pretty people who have way too much money and not enough common sense get together for a hurricane party in a big-ass mansion, and they're drinking, doing drugs, and they play like hide-and-go-seek slash uh, werewolf-within-slash-bodies-bodies-bodies game, and then people start dying for real. And then you have to figure out who's doing it, and just more bodies start falling, and people start freaking out and stuff like that. But it's done really well. Yeah, I, I enjoy this quite a bit. Some of my favorite parts, which typically in a film like this you'd think would be the boring parts, but some of my favorite parts are the conversations. Oh, yeah. And when they get into arguing, especially. And these are Gen Z kids, so (laughs) they have all these arguments about feelings, and then somebody refers to somebody as a psychopath, and they're like, don't you call her that? That's so ableist. Yeah. It's basically (laughs) every cliche that goes along with Gen Z. Well, one of them at one point says, uh, tells Pete Davidson, like, you're always gaslighting me. And he's like, oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Like, that is such a made-up word. He's like, all that says is, yay, I have the internet or, <laughs> yay, I have a Twitter account, you know. And uh, so it's just little discussions like that, which I just think are hilarious. Now, some people had a lot of problem with the characters in this. I honestly didn't, and I am surprised at that, because usually very, very vapid characters, and these are, piss me off to high hell. But it's done with such a wink and a nod. It is funny, I like these characters. They're not good characters, as in, if it was reality, I'd want to hang out with them. But they're fun to watch and fun to act, you know, they act stupidly and do stupid things. And then bad things happen to them, and then they freak out and do more stupid things. But I find that amusing. I think they're a lot of fun. Now, if this was a serious movie and a tone was serious, and you had these characters, I'd probably fucking hate it. But because everything is done for comedy first and foremost, I like it. Yeah, also, you ready to get depressed? I discovered after watching this the second time, uh, and and these are, like I said, Gen Z kids, and I was like, I wonder what's coming after Gen Z. Uh, They're already here. So I looked it up, and apparently anyone born from 2013 all the way up to 2025, which obviously isn't here yet, but they... Our Generation Alpha. One. They already exist. I don't know how they figured that out. It seems pretty arbitrary to me. Two, so does the name. I mean, Gen Alpha. Well, they had to go back around because they already, they got to Z. Yeah, but come up with something else. We used to have whole, we had the greatest generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers. We don't have to just go A, B, C, D now. Yeah, so it's going to be Alpha, and then I looked it up to see the next one, I guess, is going to be Beta, and then the next one after that is going to be Gamma. So that they're just sort so of... stupid. Going, it's like they're naming hurricanes or yeah. something. But I just found that incredibly depressing because there are <laughs> three generations after us. We are so old. <laughs> <laughs> Look, oh, my God. Gen X will always rule. Oh, damn straight. <laughs> uh, as for this movie... You give it a 4.5, and I give it a 4. I really liked it. I gave it a 4 originally, but on the second watch, I bumped it up. Next is a movie that I got uh, Jamie for Christmas 
It's a movie she never saw, so I wanted to get it for her, because I really like this one. It's from Ryan Johnson, who, with the exception of his Star Wars movie, which I'm not a big fan of, I pretty much like everything he's ever done. And this was his first feature-length real movie. Straight out of college. Yeah. It's called Brick from 2005, and it's a detective noir murder mystery. But it's set in high school with an all-high school-age cast. So you get all these, you know, young teens and all that talking like 30s gangsters. And I love that shit. Oh, and it doesn't feel clunky at all. The way that the dialogue is written and delivered comes off very naturally. Well, Ryan Johnson can do dialogue really well. There's certain writers who just, they have an ear... For their particular voice, while I'm not a big fan of hers, what's Diablo Cody has that. Yeah, I'm not a fan, but it's true. She has her own voice. Well, she has her own voice. I just don't happen to like it. No. (laughs) Quentin Tarantino has it, and I love him. Ryan Johnson has it. Oh, hell, what? I just blanked on his name. But yeah, there's certain writers who just, they nail it with the dialogue, and I come to like that first and foremost. And that's the same here. But I also just like the story, the plot, that is. Oh, it's a very good story. The action, the directing. Everything about this movie is really, really good. And it stars uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yep. And he is fantastic. And they've gone on to work together more. which is He even did the hourly dong for Mm -hmm. Glass Onion. But uh, this was a first time watch for you. How did you like it? I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was very well put together. And for him to have been fresh out of college, writing a movie this intricate with such clever dialogue, I was impressed. So if you like murder mysteries, if you like noir detective thrillers, and you want to put a new spin on it, a more modern take, I highly recommend it. To the tune of both of us giving it a five out of five. Yeah. Ryan Johnson has quickly... Moving up, moving, has quickly moved up the ranks to become one of my favorite directors. We now go to another 2022 film from the one, the only, Kevin Smith. It is Clerks 3, the final concluding chapter of his Clerks saga. And it's pretty much what you would expect. Dante and Randall are still doing their clerking thing, except for they're getting old, too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're back at the Quick Stop. They bought the Quick Stop as partners. Yep. So they kind of ended up where they started. Yep. And uh, going about the daily life, Randall has a heart attack and almost dies. And that brush with death gets him motivated to do stuff he always wanted to do, mainly make a movie. And so what does he do? He makes a movie about the Quick Stop and him and his friend working there. Yeah, basically he's making the first Clerks movie. (laughs) So this is very meta, where these characters are making the very first movie they were in now. So you get all the characters coming back to reprise their roles. It's typical Kevin Smith, which means it's... Very funny. The direction is so-so. He was never a great director, but once again, his dialogue is excellent. 
silly, crazy stuff happens. And there's also a surprising amount of heart in this movie. Oh, God. This movie wrecked me. Because it's wrapping everything up and it's the last time we'll see these characters. Unless something happens, but I doubt it. Yeah, he brings things to a definitive end. And you know why I think it hit me so hard is because these characters are us. Yeah. They are our generation. They are Gen X. We were this age when the movie came out. We grew up with it. We could relate. I was working in a convenience store when Clerks came out. I was working in a video store. (laughs) (laughs) You got your video store in my convenience store. So, yeah, I related a lot to this movie. This oh, movie was, yeah. it's it knows me, man. It gets me. Well, and, of course, Kevin Smith had a Widowmaker heart yep. attack several years ago, which greatly affected his life, as you can imagine, it would. And he took that experience and worked it in to the lives of these characters. So... You get that what these characters are saying and doing and how they're feeling is coming straight from Kevin Smith and his own experiences. It also makes you think because now that we are our age, yes, <laughs> we're getting to the point where our friends are, yeah. you know, going to the hospital a lot or having episodes of things or having to get tested for things. I mean, we're. It makes Getting you, there. because this is written and directed and starring so many contemporaries, it really hits us and other Gen Xers, I'm sure. Because, yeah, we're getting old and stuff is starting to creak and, <laughs> you know, we got to be careful with what we eat and how we act and stuff like Getting old's a bitch, I tell you. <laughs> it is. I have to get up periodically and walk around. You know, I can't just sit at my desk all day. And I was talking to one of my coworkers the other day because I always just pop into her office and chat for a minute or whatever. And and <laughs> I was like, you know why I get up and walk around? Like it's because if I don't, my muscles seize up. Like mm-hmm. my joints get stiff. I have to and. I, I know I'm coming across like I'm 80. I'm not. I'm not even close to that. But you don't have to be 80 for this shit to start happening to you. Like, it starts and then your body remembers every single thing you did to it. You know, Mm -hmm. when I blew my knee out skiing, when I, you know, broke my ankle playing softball when I was 16, my body remembers everything Mm -hmm. I've ever done to it. So, and it comes back to haunt you. And yeah, so watching this, it, it actually hit me on a couple levels. One, it's the, you know, the mortality thing. It makes you think of your own mortality, but also... It kind of makes you reflect on what you have or haven't done yeah. in your life. And there are things that maybe you've wanted to accomplish before you've gotten to the age that we are. And uh, we're both under 50, but just barely. <laughs> and uh, it makes you think about a lot of different stuff like that. And I found myself after the movie was over, and this is a comedy, and it's very funny. But after the movie was over, I found myself just sitting and reflecting and getting depressed <laughs> for a very long time. Well, again, just speaking for myself, I guess, maybe, I grew up with these characters. Oh, I did too. So, I mean, I was there 
at their beginning. I was there when they came back and was a little bit older. And now I'm here when they're much older. Mm -hmm. And it's the end of their story. So, yeah, this was a damn good movie. It's probably the best thing Kevin Smith's done in a long while. I would definitely agree with that. I kind of think he's lost the plot a little bit in recent movies. But this was old school Kevin Smith really doing what he does best. I think what it took was something that meant something to him. And this was clearly important to him. Yeah. And I feel like when he was doing things like Tusk or fucking Yoga Hosers, Mm. which I, God, I hated that movie. But those aren't films that meant something something as far as, you know, a, a, a marker for his life. You know, things like the, the Clerks trilogy and even, you know, to an extent, the spinoffs with Silent Bob. Uh, yeah. And uh, that was where he was at the time when they're doing the like Silent, Jay and Silent Bob strike back and they're doing the whole, you know, we got to go stop them from making the movie about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is what he was doing at the time. So you can kind of tell where he was in his life and career by the movies that he was making, even Chasing Amy. Yeah. was based on a real person or, you know, a real experience that, that he, he had. had. Yeah. So all of those <laughs> meant something to him. They came from his heart. I don't think yoga hosers came from no. his heart. <laughs> so I think he's one of those filmmakers that if he's making something that doesn't well, I mean, originate from his soul, then it doesn't. There's a lot of artists be a, a writer, filmmaker, musician. If it's, if they have passion for it, you can always tell. Mm-hmm. If it's just, well, you know, it's a job, I gotta do this, I need a new album, or I need a new book, or whatever, you can tell that too. The Thing versus The Ward. Yeah, exactly. As for this movie, Jamie gives it a 4.5, and I give it a 4. I really like this one. And I was quite surprised how much I liked it, because, again, uh, for me, Kevin Smith has kind of fallen by the wayside in recent years. So this was really a nice return to form for him and a very good way to wrap up this trilogy and send off these characters. Yeah, and if you were, you know, going along with these characters through life like we were, and if you were a fan of Kevin Smith's work that kind of is a prerequisite, <laughs> then yeah. if you haven't seen it yet, I do recommend it oh, highly. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's a very mature film too as far as the themes and the things that they talk about and discuss it's things that we all talk about and discuss at this age Mm -hmm. so yeah it touched me and our final new addition to the colossal collection is the cursed from also 2022 yeah also on both of our top tens oh yeah so again i and we did a review of it on patreon Oh yeah, a full review that. when we after we saw it in the theater. So our opinion should be well documented yeah. on it. If you are a patron, you can go check that out. If you're not a patron, become you can one. Become one and go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a werewolf movie. Yes, I liked it because it was a period piece. It was a good, solid, scary werewolf film. But it did something a little bit new, or honestly, a little bit more traditional with the whole werewolf lore and all that. The idea that it is a curse and, you know, how it affects you and all that. Yeah, and it's set in uh, France, in the French countryside, 15th century? Something I like think, that, um, 
I don't remember that exactly, but so it, yeah, it's period piece in the French countryside. It is gothic oh, yeah. and moody and foggy. I, I just love the atmosphere. Yeah, I love everything about this movie, uh, really. And the CGI with some of the werewolf effects is a bit dodgy, but I've said on more than one occasion, if the rest of the movie is good enough, strong enough, has me engaged enough, uh, I I can overlook that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's how this one is. And even still, it's not like the CGI effects are horrible. It's not like American Werewolf in Paris bad. But just, you, you can see the seams a little bit. I want to say they use some digital blood at times. Yeah, that's... Which I am not a fan of. No. It always looks phony. Like I say, CGI is good for stuff that we can't see or we don't know what it really looks like. Aliens and, you know, weird, slimy, whatever the hell. But everybody knows what blood is. And... You can't replicate that. It's like whenever they do a CGI person, it just looks wrong. It's that whole uncanny valley. Movies do it to save time, to save money, but I hate it. It just looks bad. I don't honestly see how using fake, like, CGI blood, uh, obviously use fake blood, but (laughs) using CGI blood saves you anything. Well, it does because let's say you put squibs on somebody and... They're supposed to pop as he gets shot. Maybe only one or two of them goes off. Now you have to get the guy a new shirt. You got to wipe up all the blood. If the blood splattered the scenery around him, you got to wipe that off. You got to put down the new squibs and... I mean, you're right. Yeah, rewire them to the box that pops them off. It's a pain in the ass. So I get why they do it. I just don't like it. Yeah. No, you're right. That makes sense. But still... I say, just make up some fake blood and sling that shit around. So do I. I And I do know that sometimes they'll use it as an enhancement if the, uh, they did this in Dead Birds, in the, specifically in the bank robbery scene in the very beginning of the movie, there was blood, but they felt it needed more. Yeah. So they enhanced it with CGI, but it's so obvious. Yes. It looks like a video game every time they do that. And that's fine if I'm playing a video game, because that's the medium. But when I'm watching a movie, it does nothing but take me out of the experience. But, like I said, if a movie is good enough and strong enough and I like it enough, I can overlook that. I still don't enjoy it that much. I'd rather have physical effects, but I can let that go. So much so that we both give this one a 4.5 out of 5. I honestly don't remember what kept me from outright loving it unless it was the dodgy CGI. It might have been. Maybe I knocked it down. We need to watch it again. We've only seen it the one time. We haven't watched it since I got it for you. I've been begging to. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. You haven't mentioned the curse. Yes, I have. We even took it to your mother's house. Yeah, I know. Because I wanted to watch it again, and we ended up not watching it. Yeah, I know. But I thought I'm the one who picked it out and took it over there. You were the one like, are you sure she's going to like that? And I'm like, oh, she'll get over it. (laughs) (laughs) She'll get over it. Uh, Next up, we have The Dark Half from 1993, which we actually covered in Stephen Stephen King Halloween run a couple years ago. Yeah, this is back to the D's now, obviously, 
We left off with The Dark Crystal, so this is the next one. Based off Stephen King novel, obviously, it's about a writer who has a pen name who used to write these very successful but very dark and gritty crime books he was never proud of. He wanted to be a serious author. And he did these, you know, bloody little crime books to pay the bills. He gets found out, and so he kills off his pen name, but he just won't die. It was very reminiscent of what Stephen King went through with Richard Bachman. Yes, very much so. And I think that's actually the reason he wrote this book. Yes. He had a similar experience. He was writing under Richard Bachman, and then somebody found out, so he was forced to come clean. Yeah, and the reason he wrote, and that wasn't because he was embarrassed or anything like that. Oh, no. Uh, he decided to do that to prove a point, to prove that he could sell books based on his writing alone, not just because the name Stephen King was on the cover. I think that's only part of the answer. I think the other part is he is just a writing machine. And it well, was yeah. his publishers and his editors who told him, look, you can't write that much. You're going to flood the market. People are going to get sick of you. So they actually limited King, like, just do one book every six months or something. <laughs> you know, you don't need anything more than that. But Stephen King, being Stephen fucking King, was like, okay, sure. And then he came up with this whole alter ego to use. And it allowed him, in his words, put out some of these dark, gritty books that really didn't fit his name. But also, I think, just to have these books come out and he can't help but write I mean, he is a prolific son of a bitch. Yeah, well, he also, during that time, was fueled by coke. Yeah, that's so, part of the reason he was so prolific. Yeah, but if you look at something like... If you like, don't sleep, you can get a lot done. <laughs> uh, Thinner was originally a Bachman book. Yep. And that's weird to me because that feels very Stephen King. I don't see, I don't see how that doesn't feel like a Stephen King novel. No, it does. And unlike a lot of the other Bachman books... It's supernatural. The Running Man yeah. Most uh, was of a his, Bachman book. The Running Man, Rage, Roadwork, The Long Walk. He wrote one recently, not recently, recently, but some years back. Desperation with the Regulators. So... Oh, was that Bachman? I have one of them I, okay. was a Bachman. The other one was a Stephen King. They were meant to go together. And uh, he always said, you know, these were his dark, gritty... Supposedly, Pet Cemetery was going to be a Bachman book just because it's so dark and depressing. You know, it's about kids getting killed and stuff like that. So, whatever. As for this book, it's, yeah, it's about typical Stephen King writing about writers and, you know, how that can affect you and put a supernatural twist on it. But it's really good, and it's directed by George Romero. You know, ever since they did... Creep oh, show. Creep show. Yeah. They've been wanting to work together again, and they've almost done it a few times, and just shit keeps getting in the way. Well, this time they could finally do it, and it turned out pretty good. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. Yeah. It's a it's a good supernatural murder mystery thriller type thing. It has some memorable kills, memorable moments, and we both like it to the tune of a four out of five. Uh, next up, we have Dark Knight of the Scarecrow from 1981, directed by Frank DiFilita. And I believe this was originally a TV movie. It was. It stars Larry Drake, mm -hmm. whom you will, actually, will probably be mentioning him very soon. <laughs> yeah. 
But he also was Dr. Giggles. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had, uh, he played Benny on L.A. Law. Mm-hmm. And anyway, this is a, a revenge tale. Yeah, Larry Drake is a slow guy, but he's a nice guy. However, there's a group of bullies. And not even, uh, usually when I think of bullies, I think of teenagers in high school. No, these are full-grown men. They just like fucking with this guy. And a little girl gets hurt. They kind of think, or at least blame him for it. They chase this poor son of a bitch all over the countryside. He hides in a scarecrow outfit to avoid them. But they find him, and they kill him. And they're like, yeah, we taught him. Because, you know, they were, you know, oh, he's a pedo, and, you know, what was he doing with that girl? And But he didn't do anything. And when the girl gets her wits about her and she could say something, she's like, no, it wasn't him. But it's already too late. He's now dead. So all these four jackasses, all, well, we ain't going to say nothing. You know, who cares about him anyways? He was stupid. He was dumb. Blah, 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 blah. It makes me cry. Yeah. But the Scarecrow comes back. Yeah, and for a TV movie, this might be, well, I don't know, Salem's Lot's really good too. But this is one of my favorite TV movies ever. It is legitimately scary. Even, you know, made for TV, so it's not too bloody, it's not too violent. But this Scarecrow is freaky as hell. Mm-hmm. And the way they use him and all that. For a good part of the movie, you don't know what the hell is going on. You don't know if it's somebody in the Scarecrow outfit, like, avenging the dead guy. Or if it is his ghost. And, uh, one by one, he gets his revenge. One by one will take you. It's fucking, it's legitimately awesome. Yeah, it is. If you are a fan of the Scarecrow genre, which may seem like something... Odd to say, there it, it is a thing. Yes. There are a lot of Scarecrow movies. Uh, but if you like those movies, and I actually do. I, I yeah. am a fan of Scarecrow films. If you like those, then this is like the granddaddy of them. This is, to me, the best one ever made. Yep. And there's some good ones. I mean, I like the movie Scarecrows. Oh, my God. That okay, is... that might be the best one ever made. Well, I don't know. I would have to... For me, it would be a tie between that and this one. That one is much more bloody and gory and stuff like that. And also fun. very scary. Yeah, and scary. But this is just creepy. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's Yeah, it's a TV movie, but it is really good. In fact, it's so good, we both give it a 5 out of 5. Yep. And speaking of Dark Harvest, we now come to Dark Harvest. Or at least... One of the movies called Dark Harvest in our collection. Yes, we have more than one. I told you we like Scarecrow movies. This was made in 1992, and it was shot on video. It is a very little-known movie. It's very, very low budget. And it has more than its fair share of uh, uh, boo-boos, mistakes, flaws, and shortcomings. It's about a car full of college kids who get stranded in the desert. Yes, I said desert. Yet despite that, there's a scarecrow out here for some frickin' reason. And he starts killing people. And that's really about it. This is a no-thrills picture. And in fact... It's not very good. Yeah, it, it has... Like I said, more than a few mistakes. Case in point, the audio is horrible. 
Uh, it seems like they were just using whatever microphone was attached to the camcorder at the time. So there are legitimate times where you can't understand anything that's being said because all you hear is the wind whooshing into the microphone. I guess I never heard of ADR. But it does have a bit of a charm to it. It does have blood and boobs and beasts. And I do like the can-do attitude. And it also has, when the kids and all that get around a campfire, they tell a ghost story. It is ripped off wholesale from H.P. Lovecraft in his story, The Pitcher in the House, which just made me smile, and I like that. But yeah, this one, it's an also-ran in the whole killer scarecrow genre, but it's not completely horrible. Jamie gave it a 2, which means she didn't like it. I didn't. However, I gave it a 2.5. I liked it just a little bit more. This is one of those rare occasions when we drop below 3 for something in our collection that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. But also a rare occasion when you are more generous than I. Yeah. Well, the reason this is in our collection is I got it for review way back in the day. And I always kept it just because it is such a rarity. It's such an oddity. Yeah, Most- this is a DVD from Intervision, and I haven't seen... I haven't seen an Intervision movie in a long time. Yeah. So, if you've never seen it and you just love Scarecrow movies, it's worth at least a watch. It also has a little bonus. It's a little bonus shock feature film, Escapes, with Vincent Price. Yep. And that is a legit other movie they just threw on here for shits and giggles, I guess. (laughs) But uh, we didn't watch that one yet because, well, that's an E movie. We're in the Ds. So, Dark Harvest... 1992, it's not great, but eh, it's worth a watch just for the oddity of it. We then jump ahead to 2004 with Another Dark Harvest. So is this more modern movie better than the last Dark Harvest? Not really. Uh, (laughs) Here, a guy inherits a house where back in the 30s there were some murders. He comes to inspect this house that he didn't know he had. And he brings some of his friends with him. And then, lo and behold, a scarecrow comes to life in a really, really horrible, cheap-looking Halloween mask. And he starts killing people. And that's about the movie. Now, it does have a lot of gratuitous nudity and gore, which makes me happy. But it's also slow as shit. And it's padded to all hell. Despite... The fact that it's only an hour and 15 minutes long, there is an incredibly slow credit scene. And then there's bloopers at the end. So yeah, this is basically not even an hour-long movie. They just padded it with whatever they could find to make it to feature length. Like I said, very low budget in it shows. The acting ain't great. The special effects ain't great. Uh, Nothing about this movie is great. We both give it a 2 out of 5. So Jamie likes it about the same as Last Dark Harvest. I like it a little bit less. I think you came with this movie? Yeah, I did. It was one that I got for a review oh, okay. way back in the day. <laughs> yeah, because I would not own this movie. And back at, well, back in my early days, I used to keep everything mm-hmm. because it, you know, helped me build my collection. And so if I got movies for a review, I didn't get rid of them, even if I didn't like them. I just kept them. 
So, yeah, this was one of those. I do like it because it is a Scarecrow movie, and that is a very niche genre. Yeah. But it's not good. I like the other one better just because more of a can-do attitude and stuff like that. Oh, and this movie also suffers from what I call modern movie-itis, which isn't really so much a thing anymore, but there was a time in the early 2000s when it was rampant, and by that I mean everybody in this movie is a fucking asshole. <laughs> They're just dicks. You, you wonder... Why are you with, you know, why are you hanging out together? It's clear you all hate each other. You have nothing in common. You just bitch and moan, bitch and moan, bitch. What kind of friend group is that? Yeah, you're right, though. In the early 2000s, it was, that was very common. You'd have just characters that you just hated. Like, yeah. You can't stand them. As and I'm now all- we, are cli- we have climbed out yeah, of that. Yeah, thank you know? God. I've always said in old the classic horror movies from the 70s and 80s, there was always one person who was a dick. And, you know, they existed so they could be a dick to everyone else, and then they would usually die in the most horrible, bloody way. So you could sit there and go, yeah, good. Here, the whole cast is nothing but assholes. So you don't have anyone to root for. This would not be in a collection. I blame Jamie for it. Well, wait a minute. What if I want to blame you for the one before this one? Again, that's a rarity. Yeah. That is, you know, a collectible. (laughs) Okay. This is just garbage. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's Dark Harvest from 2004. Eh. If you're a big, huge Scarecrow fan, I guess watch it. But if not, there's no reason to see it. Well, next up, we have a movie that also has a Scarecrow. Ah! <laughs> yes, it does. And there is every reason to see this movie. Oh, yeah. And you probably have. Because, and God knows, this movie raked in a bunch of money. Uh, everybody loved it. It has a 9.0 on IMDb. That is awesome. And this is The Dark Knight from 2008. And yeah, this is the second Batman movie from Christopher Nolan. It is, in my opinion, his best Batman movie. This movie is all about Heath Ledger. He just, he owned the Joker role. It's sad that he passed away. It would be sad if he just passed away doing whatever the hell. But specifically following this movie, he was already a pretty big star, but this was going to launch him, I'm sure, into the next level. Because he just... He owns this movie. He is the reason to watch this movie. You know, I like Batman and Christian Christian Bale and all that stuff, but Heath Ledger and his performance here is just amazing. Well, and it also changed the trajectory of that trilogy because he was supposed to feature in the third film as well. Yeah, that's sad. That's really sad. And that's probably why the third film is not as good because... Christopher Nolan had this whole plan with the Joker and all that stuff, and once Heath died, he just couldn't bring himself to continue with that. You know, he didn't see anyone else stepping into those shoes, so he had to come up with a whole new thing. As for this movie, you've probably already seen it, so you already know if you love it or not. Uh, If you never saw it, I highly recommend it. It is one of the best superhero movies of all time and i'm not a huge fan of that but just this movie is so damn good us watching it recently for this i hadn't seen it 
in a couple years before that. So it was really good to just get a refresher on just how good it is. I hadn't seen it since it came out. Yeah. I, I watched it twice when I saw it in the theater, and then I you know, watched it again shortly after that, the year it came out. And then I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I saw it in a theater. I got the Blu-ray in for review, so I saw it then. But I don't think I've seen it since I reviewed it. So, yeah, that was probably 2009, maybe. So, it was definitely time to watch it again. And I was just, once again, amazed at just how fucking good it was. Um, It's so good, we both give it a very, very high... Five out of five. And if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. Ditto. That is naturally followed up by The Dark Knight Rises from 2012. This is a conclusion to the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. And it was better than I thought. I This is another one I hadn't seen in a long time since I first saw it. And yeah, following what Heath Ledger did and how good that movie is, this is... Of course, it's going to be a step down. But it was still surprisingly better than I remembered it. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, that was fine, but nothing amazing. And I still don't think it's amazing, but it was decent. Probably its biggest flaw, in my opinion, is it's way too long. It's two hours and 44 minutes. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's like two movies in one. Uh, it is. It's, it is. It's There are... Too many stories going on and too much bullshit. They could have cut out the Catwoman stuff altogether and it wouldn't have hurt a damn thing. Uh, I remember I saw this when it came out twice in the same weekend. I went with my roommate to see it the night it came out. And then I took the little boy that I was babysitting later that weekend to see it. And... I'm actually now thinking back now, how the hell did he sit through two hours and four <laughs> minutes? Because damn, I barely can. There are things I like about it. I think it's a good story, but I honestly, it loses me for a good chunk, probably a solid hour in the middle, yeah. where I'm still paying attention, but I just am bored. It really needed a good, strong, tight editor. There's no reason it needs to be two hours and 44 minutes like you said, the whole Catwoman thing could be just gone. I can see why they want to do it, because that's the Batman love affair and all that stuff. And if that was its own story, like if they just made that movie, fine. Then do another movie with Bane and Return of the League of Assassins or whatever they are. But after losing Heath Ledger, I think his passion, like we were talking about, was just gone for this. And it can kinda, you can kind of see that here, I think. It's still good, but it's not as good as what came before it, or even what came before that with the whole Batman Begins. It is easily, in my opinion, the weakest of the three. Oh, God, yeah. It is just way too long, but I think that's because he had so many ideas of what he wanted to do that he just threw it all together and put it Well, it also shows that that he just threw everything in the pot. I don't know. I (laughs) When I'm watching this film... I got so fatigued. I just was so, just like, ugh. And then, like, you get to the part where um, he's talking to Raza Ghoul, and I'm like, oh my god, now we have all this. Like, you haven't (laughs) even gotten, like, it's not like you feel like you're close to the end, 
And then, you know, he gets tossed in the prison and you're like, fuck, because then he's got to go through that whole thing where he's trying to figure out how to get out of the prison. And I'm like, I just don't need all that. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Not it. Not in this movie. No. I need. Well, like I said, I think it could have been and it should have been two movies. If this is a story he wanted to tell, it should have been two different movies. Yes. But instead, he put it all together and it just it runs on for. And then there's like questionable decisions like the whole Alfred talking to him. I always had a dream where I would see you in a restaurant in Italy and blah, 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 blah. And that's what happens at the end. So you're telling me Bruce Wayne, after faking his death, moved to Italy, and every day he's coming to this cafe, just in the offhand chance Alfred happens to come there too, so they can nod at each other knowingly and go, hmm. Well, and Selena's there with him too. Well, of course. It's just, it's so much. Because, yeah, you've got the Bane stuff. You've got the, his, like, background training bullshit that you go through. You've got the Catwoman stuff. You've got got the Alfred story. You've got the Alfred. You've got Talia al Ghuld, Raza Ghuld's daughter. You have Robin and his whole thing. Oh, God. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's it's, another Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Which, you know, is cool. But it's like, that wasn't needed at all. Yeah. I mean, just for that little joke at the end. Oh, you should use your middle name. Robin. I like that name. It's like, oh, Jesus. It was just too much, too self-indulgent. And again, I think it just... Christopher Nolan, he had a contract, he had to fulfill it. But you can really tell he just wasn't... His heart wasn't in it. So he just put this out. And again, it's not bad. But compared to the two movies prior to it, it's definitely lacking, in my opinion. No, I agree. You know, some people, when I posted about it on Facebook, they were like, Oh, that's my favorite of the trilogy. What? Yeah, I don't get that, but hey, you know, more power to you. But uh, for me, it is just... Maybe they just really like seeing Anne Hathaway in that cat suit. Well, that could be it. Or maybe She does just... look great. Well, she, yeah. <laughs> but when does she not? Or maybe they really like Bane's voice. <laughs> I've never heard you do that. <laughs> I am a man of many talents. But, uh... I didn't say it was good. I just <laughs> said that I was awesome. <laughs> it's like he's in the room with us. <laughs> it will be very painful for, for you. you. <laughs> and I do like Bane in this. I do, too. I do, too. One of the many Tom Hardy roles that I can never pick him out in because yeah. he looks different in every... I swear, that man looks different in every movie he does. Well, he was also wearing a mask during the whole movie, so. Well, yeah. But, I mean, just his body type. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look like the same guy that was in Fury Road. Yeah. Well, I think he's a method actor. When he goes in, he goes all in. Anyways... It's a good movie. It's a decent enough Batman movie. It is not the best way to end that trilogy, but considering all the bullshit that happened and all that, I can watch it. I'm okay with it. In fact, we both give it a 3.5 out of 5. And that was, yeah. I mean, even after all the bitching I've done, the the parts that I like, I really like. You yeah. know, it's, the it's and like I said, it's not a bad story. It's no. just there's too much of it's, it. It's way too much. But the effects are amazing. You have an incredible... uh, Flying thing? I love the bat wing or whatever they call it in this. And Nolan's action scenes are incredible. They always are. And the fact that he hates CGI. Mm -hmm. He'll use it if he has to. There's absolutely no way to get a piece in there 
he'll use it. But other than that, he always goes for practical effects, practical stunts, explosions, real explosions. I hate flipping though, the truck over and in, in part the Dark two. Knight. Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually what I was going to bring up is that when he flips that semi. What I hate about it, though, is he never gets credit for it because everyone assumes yeah. it's CGI. But no, he uses all practical. <laughs> he actually flipped a semi. <laughs> yeah. And I respect the hell out of that. I just wish that he got credit for that. Yeah. Because people look at that stuff and they're like, oh, that's clearly CGI. Well, people CGI. who know, know. So, I mean, he's known for his love of practical effects. But, yeah, if you're not a, a big-time cinephile or whatever, you might not know. Well, you know now. So, there you go. All right. Well, and since we have come to the end of that trilogy, we'll just come to the end of the collection for this episode. Yeah, that's a good place to stop it. As usual, guys, thank you so, so much for hanging out with us. We always appreciate it. I hope you have enjoyed the first actual episode, the real episode of this season, and hopefully you will be... Looking forward to more, as we are. As always, please let us know uh, what you thought about our movies we discussed here, be they in the Colossal Collection or the two movies we started this show off with, or anything else. You know, we love hearing back from you, so uh, please let us know. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye! Thank you for visiting the House of Salmons. We hope to see you back very soon. Until then, come chat with Brian and me on our Facebook group page at Horror in the House of Salmons. And if you like what we do here and want to hear some bonus episodes, consider being a patron at patreon.com slash house of salmons. Special thanks to Rick Morgan for composing our theme music. <laughs>